Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Story of America. Here today, we have with us another guest. You know, we all share in the story of rich America's rich history, but none more so perhaps than our next guest tonight, uh, that we'll be interviewing the political candidate for the Republican Party, um, Raymond Brooks. It's people such as you, Mr. Brooks, that I believe leave the largest impression on America's history. It, politics is so often seen as a neutral force, so we can all hope to have somebody to represent us on the grand stage and to give us a little bit more liberty to secure us advantages and benefits for ourselves. Over the course of the next hour or so, we will ask you the tough questions that most debate formats will not allow or present you with the time necessary to answer. We'll press you on issues ranging anywhere from economic to social issues and anywhere in between. And so without further ado, uh, Allow me to introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Raymond Brooks, the Republican candidate for Congress of the 4th District of Mississippi. Uh, please tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and why you're running uh, tonight, and then we'll get on to the next couple of questions. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a police officer. Uh, been a police officer for over 20 years. Uh, I'm a God-fearing Christian. Uh, definitely a conservative-minded uh, Republican, uh, which seems to throw people off. They uh, tend to judge you, you know, by, based on the color of your skin, which uh, yeah. kind of still yeah. goes today. But uh, in a nutshell, what's got me interested in this race was wanting to be able to make a difference. Um, I tend to see a lot of people that are in politics that uh, almost seem like they have their self-interest more that is more important than we the people. And that just, it's, it, it was really blown up over these past several years uh, with the last presidency. I mean, it's just the disregard, um, the disrespect that was shown just to this seat, the highest seat that we have in this nation, uh, just totally, totally upset me. And it, I just felt like somebody needed to stand up. Somebody needed to say something. Somebody needed to call this stuff out. And it, and it was just a very small handful, handful of people that were doing that. Um, and it just got to the point where I realized that yelling at my TV was not going to be enough. I was going to, if I wanted something different, I was going to have to do something different. So I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I, did, this, I did the same thing where I was screaming at the TV and then I said, well, I'm going to put my head in the race. And that was in 20, 2019. Yeah. Um, Mississippi has a lot of issues of ballot accessibility for people that are not running on major parties. So I didn't get too far. That's particularly because COVID came in and knocked me down because, you know, I was running on an independent ticket. So I had to get uh, signatures on my petitions. Yes. And when COVID came around, well, that just stopped all the, all of that debt distracts because I couldn't go door to door as I was going before for safety reasons. You know, nobody wanted to get sick. Nobody wanted to call somebody to get sick. Um, so that kind of stopped that. But uh, in general, uh, why the Republican ticket? You know, that's probably the first question that many of the of people in Mississippi are going to ask, particularly people who are Black, considering that that is uh, one of the reasons why I decided to run on the independent ticket was because I'm not a Democrat because the Democrats are not the party that I that I recall being raised to 
to to believe in. And I said, well, if I ran on a Republican ticket, I'd lose because I wouldn't get any black people to vote for me. And Mississippi having the highest population of blacks per capita in the union. I mean, so why why the Republican ticket? Well, I think I had to stay true to myself. My values and what I believe in are, are very conservative in my beliefs. Um, I believe in, in, you know, that we need limited government. Uh, I believe that, you know, we've got to have to be able to protect our civil liberties, you know, um, and just fight for what our constitution was laid out, you know, for the people of this country. Uh, it gave us God-given, you know, just basically empowered those God-given rights that we had. And, you know, it just seems like there are, there are people in, in politics now that are trying to destroy that. And I want to try everything that I can within my power to try to protect that to the best of my ability. Good. Okay, Rhett, you have any introductory questions you'd like to ask before we kick it off? Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, officer, police officer career? Okay. Um, like I said, I've been uh, with the police department over 20 years. Uh, in my capacity there, I've uh, worked as a school resource officer. I've worked on our SWAT team as a sniper. I've worked on our Marine patrol unit, uh, as well as several other. Currently, I'm a, a warrants officer. So I work in uh, city courts um, and just kind of, you know, spread myself around there and try to get myself as much, ex much exposure as I can to the duties of this job. Uh, I seem to have a knack to being able to communicate with people well um, and coming, coming to agreements or resolutions to issues that may pop up regardless of what the issue is. So it's just one of those things that I found a calling in. It wasn't anything that I pursued. I never dreamt I would become a police officer. And I could probably say the, thing, the same thing about, you know, uh, pursuing this line in, in politics. It's not something that I pursued. It's just something that seems to be laid out in my path. Um, so, you know, when, when that happens, you know, things are brought before you, I, I feel regardless of what it is, you give it your, your all. You put in 100%, you do the best possible job you can and, and move on from there. So that's, that's kind of where I am with that. That's Gulf War Police? It is. Um, okay. Yeah, you can go ahead, DeAndre. Okay, well, to kick, it, to kick things off, um, I want to start off talking about the economy because yesterday, well, last night, as a matter of fact, I sent read the text message shortly after he, he let me know that we were on, on again for our show. I mean, we're glad to see that you're doing better. And yeah, I had COVID twice, had COVID twice myself. The first yeah. time was, was, was bad. The second time it was, you know, I was, they gave me a Tylenol and I was better the next day. But that first time I was out for about, for about a month. So I understand and how how it can really attack the body. I mean, I never had the flu, so I don't know what to compare it to, but I wouldn't like to have it again. Yeah. Um, I, do, I appreciate y'all being patient with me. I, it, I just, I don't feel I would have gave you the best quality. Uh, the cough is still there. 
Um, but it was it was bad enough to where I could I could not hold a good conversation with you, and I feel that would be fair to you guys. Yeah, that's no problem. I definitely understand. I had asthma as a kid, like I told you, so not yeah. being able to breathe, you know, you can't function. Right. Okay, so, um, I, you know, I was looking uh, at, you know, what, what Congress just approved, $1.5 trillion to go to Ukraine, and then Biden has this press conference today at around, it was around, I want to say 9.30, 10 o'clock-ish, maybe, maybe somewhere around 11-ish. I remember watching it, and he comes out, and he's, he's saying that inflation is not caused by us just spending money as a government. So blame it all on Russia. And then they're coming up with these things about the 9,000 leases that are that pretty much aren't usable because of the Biden policies on, on energy. So when it comes to those to the economy, it's the number one issue for voters, I think more than anything, usually. Uh, so what economic system do you subscribe to? And why do you think that is best for America? Well, free markets are the best, I think. It gives everybody an opportunity. Um, and, you know, with with the stuff that's going on, you know, a lot of this inflation, a lot of the gas prices, it just seems like that party is looking at playing the blame game with a lot of that stuff. Because it, to me, it seems yeah. like there's a direct result in things that they did initially when they came into this office that directly impacted a lot of that stuff. And the proof is in the pudding. You can blame it on whoever you want, but that those numbers were going up well before Russia did anything with Ukraine. Yeah, I was I was talking to somebody today online about that very thing. I was telling them, uh, did you did you forget that Jen Psaki said inflation was a good thing a couple a couple <laughs> months ago? But yeah. you, did you forget that Biden shut oil down day one of his administration? Did you guys forget about his campaign mission where he said multiple times that we're going to completely get rid of fossil fuel. Like, uh, did you guys forget about all of that? Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's uh, what the first, it was Trump's fault. Then it was, uh, yeah. then it was they the corporations. <laughs> yeah, then it's corporations it's fault. Putin's then it's fault. COVID's fault. Now COVID's fault, yeah. Putin's fault. And now it's the people who can't use the 9,000 leases fault. <laughs> Well, you know, and that's that's a good point because I I just wish we had an administration who would come up with solutions rather than trying to blame everything on everybody else and everything else that's going on in this world. You know, come straight out and tell us how you're going to fix it. Give us some type of solutions. Give us something to work with. Give us something, a light at the end of the tunnel that's going to give us a direction. But we don't seem to be getting any of that. And that's that's frustrating to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's frustrating to me because if if I could come, you know, I'm I'm not claiming to be the Jesus of politics or or the next savior of our great nation, but if I can come up with uh, no nonsense, common sense solutions that everybody can understand simply and plainly, it should not be that difficult for seasoned politicians. They're supposed to be. Uh, our moral superiors that's how they like to that's how they like to, that's how they like to present themselves they're, but it's they're not supposed that to difficult. be they just have alternative smart. plans <laughs> exactly you know, you in know. All reality, i think we we have ourselves to blame for that we allow these people to think that they are morally superior to 
the everyday people yeah. when they're actually supposed to be a representative of the people. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to be representing what we want in Congress, bring our grievances to DC and we'll let that reflect throughout this nation. That's not what's happening. We've, we've been complacent for way too long in allowing these people to sit in office and make this office a career, which it never, it was never meant to be a career. That number uh, number five of our guests who said the same thing, Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And I, and I the, think they've forgotten. It's the truth. It's the truth. You, but do you know, I like that uh, about the complacency, because do you not think that uh, that uh, we we are a little bit complacent in the fact that our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution uh, says that we have the right to reproach our government? And, and submit uh, submit letters of grievances and reproofs of them, and I don't think really anybody does that. You know, you got to hope. And then when they did do it, it was January six, and that became a debacle in itself. Even though it's right. blown up way bigger than it actually was, but you know, when it comes to uh, I hate to sound cliche, but this sounds almost exactly like what Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence. Rhett knows what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about, where it says that that uh, prudence indeed, human beings will suffer <laughs> things that most insufferable evils and oppresses until you've pushed them over the limit, pretty much. And now here we are at this breaking point where they would, people just aren't going to stand for it anymore. And you know, we there's a clash of ideologies, a war, a war that's going on in the minds right now, and it seems as though conservative thinking is coming back around to liberal to beating the liberal side. But the liberals, yeah, they have it's the new counterculture. Yeah, they have uh, they have eighty years, maybe more, of planning for this war. You know, they've taken over our schools, they've taken over our our, our legal systems, pretty much. And so they've indoctrinated this entire next generation and partially our generation too, me and Rhett's. And so now it's a long, it's a long battle. And, you know, uh, Thomas Sowell would say that um, it's generally around the thirties that uh, young people start to snap out of this Marxist communist uh, fetish and start waking up to more conservative values, particularly people in the South because uh, naturally we're conservative. I think I would I would say that black people in the South are conservative, very much so, even here in Mississippi. But we all vote Democrat because it's just it's party over over policy, pretty much all the time. Yes. You know, I told a friend told a friend of mine uh, many times that I know a lot of people, a lot of black people that love the policies of Ben Carson, Doctor Ben Carson. And love the policies of uh, oh dang his name's his name's slipping out my mind right now. I don't want to mess up his name because because he, he's an important uh, black figure. But uh, what's his name? He was the other black candidate on the Republican ticket that went against Herman Cain. Yes, Herman Cain. Uh, he didn't run against name. Trump. He ran it, or did he? Yeah, I he remember was, him. He from was on the twelve. He was on the stage against. You against know, he Wilson. died of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I Thanks, know. Then, then, then they uh they blamed Trump for it because he was at a Trump uh, uh rally, yeah. and they blamed Trump for it. And, you know, I've I've been to Donald Trump rally when it came down here on the coast in 2017, and I went was, there too. 
That was yeah, the largest yeah, campaign yeah, event in Mississippi yeah, history. I was there. It, it, yeah, I, yeah, I, was I there sat with, right behind. Uh, I sat I right there. behind him. You were. I don't even remember seeing you there. You didn't never say no. I was. I never saw you there. I was in line. I got oh. there like. I got there yeah. like two o'clock in the morning. I went with uh, the morning. Brandon uh, Mayfield like, and Rachel Puglisi. I dragged them down there. Hey, I was in line for. I knew. Uh, for like five hours because I got there about two o'clock in the evening and you know we didn't people didn't get to go inside until about uh six o'clock and so i was there in the line for a long time and my seat was uh directly behind trump's seat i was right next to the vip section oh, those are the people yeah, you that were on the right other side you were on the other side of the coliseum yeah and i have to say that was one of the best events i've ever been to because you know, I saw, I saw, you know, sitting where I was sitting at, I could see the people that were on the floor. So I saw a lot of black people there that I wasn't expecting to see, uh, which was a good, good uh, sign to me that, you know, I've said he's resonating with our community, which is good. Um, and I, but the feeling there, you know, if that's, uh, if that's the man that, that's trying to kill us all with his racism, I, I couldn't feel it there. Uh, probably one of the best events, you know, I've sat, around a bunch of white people and that I never met before. And we're there having a good time, taking pictures with one another, holding up our posters and signs and exchanging numbers. You know, this is not the way that the left and the Democrats paint, paint us to be. It's not how they paint Mississippi to be. They call us the most racist state in the union, but you know, maybe, maybe if you go up north, northern Mississippi, I hear some things about northern Mississippi, but I think overall Mississippi has changed so rapidly from what it was uh just in the just in the 80s you know but definitely evolved quite a bit and it's a, it's a very diverse state much more so than the media or politicians will allow that to be exposed you know people come here and they just they're, they're blown away by it uh they're blown away by how friendly people are here um, and just the Miss South Mississippi's natural beauties. So there's there's quite a bit to be proud of, you know, being down here. It's almost like a one of those best kept secrets <laughs> to say, you know, because there's there's uh, yeah. a lot of benefits to being the there. coast all, is definitely. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, I have to say I want to keep it one of those best kept secrets because, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, and I, I say that in all in all due seriousness because it seems like the more the states outside of Mississippi start influencing Mississippi, the faster we de degenerate. Right. You know, our heck, even our churches have been uh, targeted, and Mississippi is not as religious as it used to be. It's not as conservative valued as it used to be. It's it's losing a lot of that in our schools. You know, Mississippi, they always talk about our education system so far behind. For I me and Rhett's talked about this many times. Because our education system is so far behind the other ones, you know, it's sad to say that, but because we're so far behind and we're lagging behind, Rhett and I miss the indoctrination of the common core and the political uh, uh, indoctrination that they have in our schools right now, you know, where They've got people having reports on Black Lives Matter stuff, and they having uh, having reports where they have to 
uh, communicate with Muslims over the phone and get them, you know, do the Muslim prayer, but you can't even take Bible to school anymore. You can't pray at the football games anymore. And so me and Rhett, we missed that because our Mississippi is educated. <laughs> That's so, the percentage of allegiance being taken out. Yeah. You know, I remember I used to think I was being, being a badass in class by not standing up for the pledge. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recite the pledge. I would sit down. And I remember um, I was in eighth grade, no, seventh grade. I had a, uh, had a coach, Coach Morgan. So, he was my science teacher. Hey, this just came out this year, like this what? month. I saw this article uh, about a month ago, but our statewide graduation rate has actually gone up since 2014 from 74.5% to 88.4%. I'd have to look Last more into year. that because, because I want to, I want to be clear that when we see those raises, those rights and numbers, uh, particularly in black populated areas, like I said, Mississippi third, lar uh, first largest, um, they, it's the, it's an affirmative action clause because you start to get those graduation rates because they're lowering it lowering the standard and yeah, i don't i want to i want to research some more on that because i don't want us to champion that if all they're doing is lowering the standard of education for mississippi because our standards are already low enough as it is and then I you don't throw know. in some I'm of this other stuff. Reporting the news. Yeah. I don't know what's I, behind it. I, working as a school resource officer, I work directly in the schools. I work with the with the teachers. I, I work with those students. I work with those parents and the administrations of the schools. And you know, from the outside looking in, it, it's a shame to say uh, it was things like no no child left behind, which were were great in theory, but in practice, it didn't yeah. work. You, you know, and that's what that's what I said too. I um, I seeing exactly what we have today: a system that did more to promote low academic standards while undermining American values. You know, you can't continue to lower expectations to our children and expect them to be successful. You've got to teach Absolutely. them to be critical thinkers. You got get rid of stuff like this critical race theories that they're trying to push, and and you know, let kids be kids. Teach them, teach them how to be independent. And like I said, critical thinkers. That's going to be the most important thing. And we've just, we've just allowed. Like, yeah, I don't think we can ever hope for public schools to do, that. to do that. You know, I, I hate bashing on public schools because I love public schools. I think they're beneficial, but there has to be competition. And I'm, we're, going to, we're going to get to those questions too on public school. As a matter of fact, while we're on that, let me go ahead and ask the question on public schools. Uh, these are a couple of questions that I have about our school system. Um, let me see if I can find it wherever I put it at here. Um, <clears throat> do you believe that schools should move more towards privatization or be left as is, or maybe get some type of uh, charter school system going around where money follows the child as opposed to just being in a massive slush. I believe that it uh, more like what you said that the money should follow the child. The child, let the schools compete for each other, and I and I guarantee you that level of academic will start being raised. Um, they don't give the American people enough credit. 
They think this is the only option that you have. And I, I really think that they tar- try to target low-income families uh, into public schools and making them believe that that's the only choice they have. It's the only, it's the only way you're going to get any type of education. And then when you put them in that school, they're not even getting that. I've seen kids sixth, seventh, eighth grade, even in the high school, who can barely read and write. And I'm, I'm asking myself, how did they get here? How did they get to this, this level? You know, and, and that goes back to what you know uh, you were saying about the graduation level going up. I would highly question, you know, what level of skill those kids have compared to what it was in the past. Yeah, they might just be passing them. Yeah, because I I know the the statistics in Baltimore, West Baltimore particularly, where it's uh, overwhelmingly black, the statistics are 80% of the students that graduate from the high schools there cannot do grade level math and reading. Yes, it's amazing. And then they get out and they get out and they get put in the world. And, you know, I, w- I was just listening to one of um, one of Thomas Sowell's interviews. I did this, so this was like about an hour before the, we started the show. And I was just listening to it. It was on preferential policy and how the affirmative action of preferential policy is the greatest form of racism that is that has been put into place because uh, Thomas Sowell gave an example of his experience which was growing up in North Carolina in the South where the education bar was lesser than that of New York back in the 50s. Um, And no, not not the 50s, back in the the 30s when he was a child. And then going to New York and learning things, but he was, when he was in North Carolina, he was at the top of his class, get to North, get to New York. And he's at the very bottom of the class and trailing significantly behind the lowest person in his in his uh grade and you go from there to you know he couldn't blame it on racism because the school that he went to in new york was all black as well and because at the time schools were still uh you know segregated and they're trying to trying to integrate at those times and so these the different standard of education caused by affirmative action and these preferential policies is what's caused this massive divide shift between the whites and blacks uh, at the at the schools academic levels, and then it comes even worse than that when now you have the the academic level indoctrinating young whites to think that they've are born and bred uh, intellectually and morally superior to to blacks that they have to apologize for their very existence. And to give blacks a, an advantage, uh, which I would feel insulted as a black person if I was in college today, having to deal with that. But you see now where the affirmative action of the preferential policies, um, where you'll have Harvard grab a sample size, like I was almost in, accepted into Brown University or Harvard, in Harvard University when I was in high school. I, I had got some paperwork from my principal, Charles Duber, uh, and it was to sign up to go to Harvard. And I was happy because I wanted to go to Harvard all the time. And I did a, uh, I did an ACT of my first one. I made like a 17, the second one, I got like a 26, something like that, only took them twice. And on the first one, I got a letter to a scholarship to go to Brown. And I got 
a, with a 17 a, yes i still what? have the letter still have the letter wow. and i got a uh, a letter from stanford university to to come attend a law seminar for two for two weeks and that they that they would pay for if i found a way to get to california and you know looking back i was so excited i wanted to do it but my folks couldn't afford to send me there but after reading what happened with these people where they just they just get you because they're renting a body to make a certain demographic in their school to, so they can get more money from the government. And then once once you're done and, and you've uh, graduated as an undergrad with no skills and no and a useless degree and, and coming out knowing less than you did when you went in, they discard you and replace you with another body. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's it's all about the numbers. Uh, they they end up be, you end up being a quota. You know, though the, our educational system in in any form should never been a be a political platform for attempting to indoctrinate our children. This it just shouldn't be. Activism has no place in our schools. Um, the teachings of things like you said, critical race theory, um, gender neutrality. Um, division through skin color, demographics, financial status, all of that. Those are just different ways that, you know, they're, they're trying to separate and always making somebody feel like a victim. And, you know, that's teach, teach children to read, teach them to, to write, teach them to do math, yeah. you know, teach them some skills that are going to help them be successful citizens in their community. Um, and activism isn't, isn't what I want for my kids. It's not what I feel is right for anyone's kids in the school. You know, that's that's a personal thing that you do aside. But when it comes to our that's, education system, yeah. we should be educating our kids. Activism in the schools is evil. And the victimhood yeah. mentality, being taught that at a young age is corrosive. And it will, it could very well just completely, it's very it's hard to get over it. child abuse. It's I mean, you're, you're poisoning a child's mind. You're, you're poisoning their, their mental stability by putting, putting these social issues into a curriculum that's, that's supposed to be educating them. Now, you know, it, aside from upper, upper educational classes, uh, colleges and, and high schools, where you might have social studies and things where those things are pertinent uh, and, and it's, it's more directed at that. You can have an open discussion about that. And I have no problem talking about racism or anything else. You know, that's not what I'm against in, in critical race theory. It's about the division. It's about making one people feel like they're superior to another or one feeling like they are less than the other. We, we have gone so far from that, from, you know, Martin Luther King's day. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, where we should be judged, like you said. By the, by the content of our, of our character, skin, absolutely. By the color of our skin, you know. That's and it seems, it seems that, it seems that you know, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, two very different people, but came to the same conclusion. Right. You know, Malcolm Malcolm X is quoted saying that uh, the most dangerous thing to blacks is this white liberal that comes around professing to love blacks and professing to have all the answers. And he, say, he goes on to say that 
blacks or he's he says the negro not blacks but he goes on to say the blacks should learn that our problems will never be solved by the white liberal and and we have to solve our own problems in our community ourselves and that's a it's the same conclusion that martin luther king comes to just in different words so martin luther king says get rid of get rid of the group and focus on the individual right you know and that's a great segue in, into what politics are as well. It shouldn't matter what letters beside a person's name that you're trying to elect to any one of these offices. What should matter to you is the content of that character on that person. Is that person going to be the best person to represent you and the way you feel that this nation should be going? And, you know, that's that's the way I've always looked at it when, when I vote. If I felt there was a uh, a person, and he happened to have a D beside his name, but I felt that guy was more genuine and actually had some moral standards, I would vote for that person. And same on the Republican side or the independent side or the libertarian side. It didn't matter. I wanted people in office who was actually going to stand up and hold to their morals and vote the way that they said they were going to vote when they tried to campaign. That meant more to me than anything. And that, that would always get me a second vote. Absolutely agree with you on that. Um, I want to go into another question on education. Uh, do you think that the problem in our education system may have to do with the overfunding of uh, of well, no, let me rephrase that the, the allocation of funds, the way that these, the way that the unions and the education department allocates money. And how it's done, or like for instance, uh, it was all about test scores at one point in time, where you would get more money and more technology, you know, more smart boards, the better the test scores you got, as opposed to uh, allocating money to those schools that were failing the test scores to try to get them to go go up. Do you think that this causes a degree of competition that uh, or that doesn't exist? between the uh, lower schools? I, I think it has a lot to do with the educational system moving away from educating our kids. They turned it into a business. And that, that's a big problem when, when it comes to the school system. Uh, when, you, when you start treating it with a business model, you start counting more on how many people you can get to, to attend the school. How many, uh, what, what they called it in school was butts and seats. How many kids you can get to show up regardless of, you know, what's going on with them, get them to show up. The testing was the, the second tier to that. Teach kids how to be good test takers and, and we would give you more funding. But that did, that did nothing to show if they were actually being educated. It just showed that they, they were taught how to take a test well. Uh, process of elimination on multiple choice question, that type of deal. That's not educating kids. That's teaching them how to take tests. And we, we've gotten so far away from what the educational system was meant to be. And again, you know, it's just one of those things that I, I believe it's been exposed. COVID helped expose a lot of that. When these kids started having to go home and the parents were having to help walk them through, through their uh, online classes, and realizing their kids couldn't do this or couldn't do that or couldn't figure this out, and they stopped becoming critical thinkers. 
um, it, that upset a lot of parents and it basically exposed what was happening in our educational system across this nation. So it, it was almost a godsend in, in the sense that it opened a lot of eyes and like I said, pulled that curtain back and exposed us to what was actually going on in, in our educational system. Speaking as a religious man, I think God has a lot to do with, with what's going on right now behind the scenes that we don't quite understand because I think he's allowing certain things to happen the way that they are to remove the veil, so to speak, to so that all those people who have been willfully blind and willfully ignorant of things will finally have no choice but to accept the facts that are in front of them. You're right, you're right. And, you know, again, you know, so it's one of those things that's our fault. We've, been, we've become complacent. We've become comfortable in and almost too trusting in people who said, I have the experience to, to represent you and, and do this and go to Washington on your behalf. And they totally, it's nothing but an excuse to try to get votes. You know, you'll see it. You know, the, the proof is always in the pudding uh, with representatives that we have currently. You know, are they really for the people? Are they still, are they coming out in the communities? Are they talking? Are they getting a pulse of what the people in their, in their districts actually want? Or are they I think that goes to on to a question that Rhett might, I think that's going to come up to a good question. Uh, Rhett, uh, he was just talking, talking about, uh, do the P, do the representatives that we have now, us yeah, really do him. represent us. So that goes on to the next question. I'm pretty sure you know what that question is, Rhett. And that is, yeah. what, what do you think well, of Palazzo? Yeah. I mean, he did, you know, as I was telling Rhett and our other guests, if it wasn't for the fact that I was inter interested in running against him, I wouldn't know what he looked like. I wouldn't even know what his name was. Well, you know, I, I don't have anything personally against the guy. Um, as, as a person, uh, as far as politics go, yes, I'm very offended. Like I said, I want I wanted somebody, you know, I'm not the only one that was upset about the way this country was going on in the past several years and the things that were happening in politics, the things that were happening in Washington. And I wanted somebody standing up saying, this ridiculousness needs to stop. You know, we this is not what the people of South Mississippi want in the fourth district. We want, we want true yeah. representation. And I don't feel that we were getting that. And I don't think at any time that he was ever going to get to the point where he was going to do that. It almost seems like he was just there to be a rubber stamp for the Republican Party. And shame on him if that's the case. Um, shame on us for keep electing him into that position as well. So I, I think this is a movement that's not just happening here on the coast. So it, it, of course, it's a, uh, it's a sign that you have so many people that are interested in this race right now that have thrown their hats in. But I, I see that happening across the nation. I see a lot of people that, that were angry, just like me. I see a lot of people just like me in skin tone who are standing up in their cities. Uh, so the representation is, I think, is going to be much a much bigger field than it has been in the past of people who actually want to do the right thing. It's, it's up to us as constituents, as voters, to do our job, do our due diligence, research these candidates, see what they're actually about, see what they stand for, and then vote accordingly. I absolutely agree. Go on, Rick. 
Hmm. So, all right, let's talk about the border. Okay. So, um, explain your stance concerning the crisis at our southern border. I'm sure of what it is, but I know what your answer is going to be to this too, but should we continue to allow people freely into our country or should we begin taking steps to control the flow of undocumented immigrants? Well, gosh, that, that, that could be a whole, a whole interview right there. I'm telling you. Yeah. (laughs) We have immigration policies. We we're a land of law and order, supposedly. Um, And we have those policies in place for a reason. We need to be able to vet people coming in. Um, And and I have no problem with anybody trying to seek asylum or trying to uh, come come to this country to better themselves. I'm all for that. But there's a process and there's a procedure that that, that needs to be followed in order to do that. You water down or almost degrade the, the struggles that legal immigrants have went through to get to this point and become naturalized citizens by allowing this to happen. My question is, why is it being allowed to happen? You know, that's what I think a lot of people should be asking. Why is this, why is it allowed to be so as porous as it is? You know, they give you this number of two, two and a half, you know, almost 3 million illegals across the board. Those are just the ones they counted. You know, yeah. it's, it's an untold number of those that, that are getting through undetected. And it's just and that's it's what, happening every single day. That's what people uh, never seem to grasp is that two million is just the ones we caught. Yeah. It's estimated yeah. that it's two, there's two to three times more than that that actually I got agree. through. I agree so, with that. Yes, I believe so. So if I we think a major two, uh, reason for it is uh, the Democratic Party is starting to lose faith in the black vote. That's exactly well, they, I, yeah, I, I agree. They, they have noticed that the black votes, the black citizens are actually waking up and they're seeing that you promised and you promised to do this and do that. And it's only around election time that you make these promises and then you go right back to doing nothing for these black communities, these black schools, uh, these black neighborhoods. And at some point you have to, you have to start asking yourself, regardless of what stance you have, you know, is this is this benefiting me in any kind of way? Is this helping me as a black person? Um, and, you know, if you have even an ounce of common sense, you'll see that it doesn't, that it's not helping you. So I, I think that's a primary reason. They, they think that uh, pulling in, if I can't get the black belt, well, I'll just import enough people from another country that's going to give me that vote. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't believe we're allowing it to happen. I hate to be the pessimist, but I, I'm, I have a darker, a darker view. You love to be the pessimist, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it's we're just we live in horrible times, Rhett. <laughs> as far right. as far you know, you know, people could say that we, you know, we're in the enlightened era. You know, this is not the second Renaissance by any means. But uh, as far as technology and general peace around the world, this is the best time in the world to live. But everything else sucks. And you know, my my uh, my view of the reason why the Democrats are importing as many votes as they are importing is because the the, the trends. Um, first time uh, immigrants tend tend to vote Democrat. If you give them amnesty, you give twenty million amnesty. That's twenty million votes. 
and that gives them a massive uh, lead ahead. But the second part of that is, is they have to they have to constantly renew that cycle of new votes because second generation immigrants or second time voters of immigrants, over fifty percent of them tend to vote Republican after the after the first time. So you squash that twenty million down to ten, and so they got to import new votes to replace them. And it comes down to the fact that the American birth rate is ridiculous right now, particularly blacks. Uh, you know, I, I've said this a couple of times to a couple of my other black guests uh, that love to talk about uh, 2042 when whites are supposed to become the minority. And I keep telling them if whites are the minority, black people in America are extinct because our population is declining rapidly. And the, the Democrats, they they can't rely on us because we won't be around much longer if it continues to happen. You know, com combined with Planned Parenthood that kills over 20% of our children before they even get a chance to be born in, our, in the Black community, with our murder rates and our natural death rates, we have more people that are dying every year in the Black community than are being born. And I, you know, an amazing thing. You, you see that in this largely predominantly black neighborhoods and cities where it's almost allowed to happen. Uh, take Chicago, for instance. You know, so much crime, so much killing. It, you know, it, it was almost like it, it was a weekly thing. You wanted to see how many people were being shot in that in that city. And last night. Uh, here in Mississippi, power are doing are focusing on everything else other than that. You know, last night, uh, I, I don't know if somebody got killed, but heck, I was uh, awakened out of my sleep right outside my apartment downstairs. Five or six gunshots. Don't know what they shot live, at. Man. Don't know what they're shooting at, but I do know that, out of that area. I do know that the person that's in the room next to mine, uh, about about two rooms down was murdered in his own apartment just uh the day two days before christmas and that you know that's at my in my same building that i'm living in right now and there were like five or six gunshots last night i nobody called the police you know i didn't call the police because i don't i didn't see anybody i looked out the window i'm looking to see what or maybe they were shooting at a dog but you know you don't shoot five shots at a dog yeah. um and it sounded like it was right outside my window. I'm upstairs. So I'm like, you know, I don't know what happened because I, I don't see anybody. I didn't see a vehicle. I didn't see any, uh, nobody, nobody running around. So like, okay, maybe, maybe the person that was involved in this will call the police because if I call the police and they come over here, I don't know what to tell them because I don't have any information. And, you know, that's a massive issue. We're, we're going to talk about that uh, probably at length when I, when I get to that part. But and in our community, we have nobody to blame but ourselves, because if you go to black communities like Chicago, Baltimore, uh, Detroit, they're all run by blacks, black mayor, black police chief, black attorney, just attorney general. So who who can you blame for the problems in our community? And it's not it's not the whites. You know, it's like, well, the white people are handcuffing them, uh, you know, stopping them from doing anything. When you're the mayor of the city or the governor of the state, 
who who can handcuff you from doing anything? And, and you know, know when you say this, it, it's our fault. It, it really is. It's because we didn't do our due diligence in electing people who could make a difference and fix those issues, or at least attempt to fix those issues in the office. That's well, you know that the ones that do. The ones that do get out of our community as a race trader, an Uncle Tom, oh, yeah. um, a new one that I got called was a class trader. Apparently, apparently investing in the, in the market and trying to get my hands on some gold um, is doing what rich people do. And I've betrayed the poor people. And now I'm a I'm a class trader. I'm no I'm no longer just a race trader. I've ascended to a new type of trader, but. Uh, you know, that's why I say I'm the pessimist in this because I see it. I see it from a darker, more darker point of view. Uh, because you know, uh, in the 30s, blacks were projected to uh, make to make up 33% of the country. How far that shift has changed to where under Barack Obama we were roughly 14%. By the time Barack Obama left office, we're down to 13.1. Trump gets in office, we're at 12.8%. And still that number is declining. I think by the time Biden gets out, we'll be down to 11% or 11.9, somewhere around there. The way I understand it, though, Black people in America are no longer the minority. It's Hispanic is the new minority now. Uh, yeah. To the latest numbers that, that have been projected in of course, this influx of uh, you know the people well, you, across the border at will is well. Let me correct that. It's uh, it's not so much that Hispanics are the new minority; they're just a new minority that that they get that gets cared about, yeah. because Asians and Jews make up a less percent of the population than than uh, Hispanics and Blacks. But because Asians or Jews are two to two to four times more successful than whites on average. Nobody cares about the Asians or Jews. Um, yeah. and, but Blacks are just yeah. trolling behind. They're now considered white so adjacent, <laughs> according to, you know, the cancel culture, yeah. postmodern lexicon. And everything always comes back to, well, the Jews control the music industry. The Jews control this, Jews control that. Well, when the Jews got here, they had less than we had when we got out of slavery. Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, I was reading a book by... Uh, Walter E. Williams on it's as a matter of fact, I got the book right here. I'm still reading it. It's uh, uh this one here. It's called uh, Race and Economics: How Much Can Be Blamed on Discrimination. And I thought I knew a lot, but uh, this opened my mind to how much to what I really didn't know. And you know, blacks during the time of slavery, many of them were wealthy. And that goes untaught in our schools, you know, that the free market basically equalized the playing field and the entire reasoning of all the Jim Crow law wasn't to stop blacks from voting. It was to stop them from making money because they were making so much money in the South during before the Civil War even happened. You got uh, this guy right here. This was in, um, in 18. Uh, what was it? In 18. Uh, um uh 34 sometimes something around there where this guy was called what was he on the black early black early achievement it was um this guy here he says that he had owned 
a bunch of land and he started cropping potatoes and they called him the Negro Potato King for not only having more, see this is the exact quote right here. It says, because of his success in producing a greater than average yield of potatoes per acre and because of his being the largest individual grower of potatoes, he was called the Negro Potato King. And that was um, that was Junior C, Junior G Graves, and this was long before the end of slavery. And by the time he died, he was worth a hundred thousand dollars then, which is worth today about ten point four million. <laughs> and we don't nobody gets gets taught that information in our communities that it's it's always been education skills and uh and hard work and effort and now um the welfare you know i can talk about the welfare system all day you know that's one of those conversations that that's like you said with the border that you could have an interview on all sure. all day yeah. is the damage the welfare system has done not only the blacks but just america in general yes and so i i'm very pessimistic on it but i do want to stick to the border discussion because Mississippi is not a border state, but we are heavily affected by by illegal immigration. You know, as a result of that, we get a lot more immigrants than people give Mississippi credit for. Uh, to the point where not just Mississippi or the western side of Mississippi is primarily where the Hispanics tend to populate the most, and we get a lot of them here on the coast as well. So. Uh, I guess my question would be, well, actually, let me pull it up from here on this other one on immigration. And on that one, I would have to say, uh, do you believe that there should be a limit to the amount of immigrants we allow into the country uh, at one, at, at one point, uh, point in time? Because I've been writing about this, and this was one of the things that I said. I said, that if that we first need to set a limit to migration for the United States, not just on illegal immigration, but as a whole, uh, do you think at one point in time that we're going to have to just shut the borders down completely? Well, that's that is a tough issue. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you have to look at the sustainability of the country that people are immigrating to. And are they able to, you know, handle an influx of millions of people like what we're doing here in the last year? Um, that's that's the perfect way to break a nation, in, in my opinion. You know, you you you're not only allowing them to cross the border, but you're you're funding them. You're you're giving them money, you know, for housing, for uh, food, for shelter, everything else things that uh, you and I have to work for, you know, they simply, they're the only work that they had to do was actually cross the border illegally or whatever. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, with that said, yes, you know, there, there should be some kind of, of limitation, uh, maybe per year capita on how many we can take th through each year and uh, just make sure that we're able to sustain that number. Um, I also believe that 
it, it's very important that they go through the process so that we can vet these people and so that we know what they're coming in here and why. Um, what do they intend to do when they get here? You know, that's a lot like, you know, going into from, from let's say, a red state to a blue state, you know, and, and you didn't like the way the things were happening in your red state or vice versa. And so you go to another state, but you want to bring all your beliefs from that, from where you came from. Uh, if the things that <laughs> if the things that were detrimental to them in their country and they want to bring that lifestyle here, which we've seen a lot in, in law enforcement, we see a lot of it. And you want to bring that and impose that on another nation, you know, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I don't think that that's the way it, it should happen. And if you're going to another nation, you should be able to assimilate to that nation that you want to go to. They have they have obviously something that um, piqued your interest or interest you in into wanting, whether it was um, jobs, education, healthcare, whatever it was. Something was there that made you want to go to that country, and you should go there wanting to empower that same thing for other people to do the same. So wanting to, you know, come across and, and change things uh, because that's the way that you did it in your country. Uh, that's just one of the things I don't agree with. What do you say to those um, those naysayers that say, well, these people aren't coming here to make a name for themselves. They're coming here to uh get out of crisis and then they're supposed to go back home because they're they're getting asylum but they never wind up going back home and they never assimilate so what do you say to those people how do you convince those people that that this that this assimilation is a requirement to come into the country as opposed to just coming in and going about your merry way having your own beliefs that are different from the beliefs of the of the general state of america yeah that's Again, that's going to be a tough situation. We've, we've allowed so much of it to happen already. We're going to have to come to a point where we have redemption over it. We have to fix it some kind of way. And if that means, you know, there, there's the, the gamut goes from deportations, mass deportations, to putting everybody in kind of a limbo and having them assimilate the proper way and go through the proper channels. How do you do that with so many people already in the country illegally? Um, it's, it's a fine, fine line that you have to be able to cross and, and, uh, you know, negotiate a way that's going to be fair and respectful for those people, like you said, that are specifically coming here for asylum to get out of, you know, a bad situation and, and they want to be able to do better. I sympathize with those people, but like I said, we, this is a, a country of laws and, you know, you, you've got to come in the right way if you want to come in. I totally believe in that. I agree with you. Um, any other questions on, on immigration, border security, Rep? No. Okay, then I want to move on to healthcare. Uh, you know, just this was just pretty general for me because I, I spent a good majority of my adult life so far working in the healthcare industry, working in the insurance industry, particularly as a part of the healthcare industry. So I've been able to see the markets before and after the Affordable Care Act. And so it gives me a lot more perspective than what it was when I first started in the business. And when I first uh, learned about the Affordable Care Act 
there was always something about it that I didn't quite understand that I didn't like. And I was in high school, so I wasn't old enough to vote anyway. So it didn't really matter to me. But every time I heard about it, there was something about it that made me not trust it. And then when I started working for the government and sold it to people, uh, thousands of people, I seen why I didn't like it. And I understood more about it. So uh, my question would be, would you repeal or keep Obamacare? I would vote to repeal it. Uh, I don't see enough positive things coming out of it the way that it was set up. Uh, it was sugarcoated. Uh, there were blatant lies when it was presented to the people. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where if they have to pass it in the dark of night, you know, without it, without you really even knowing what's in the bill, that, you know, just too many red flags there. Proof is in the pudding. Uh, we saw, you know, that you could not keep your doctor if you wanted to keep your doctor. You saw that your your uh, premiums were going to go up, unlike what they what they promised in the package. So for that reason, I I, I think you know I would I would vote against it. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where if if you're going to want to remove something, you've got to have something to replace it, something that's going to work, you know. Uh, for the for the masses, and and that's going to be an important thing. It's coming up with something, um, and and that's again, it's going to take a lot of people working together. Do you think it? Do you think it needs anything per se, or why not just allow the free market to determine that? Yeah, the free market absolutely could do it. Uh, competition is always good uh, as far as far as that goes, but there's there are so many little angles and moving parts in our healthcare system. Uh, that really needs to be fixed. Um, you know, the, the charges that you get, um, there are uh, prescription prices. I mean, there, there's so many different angles to that. And all of them need to be looked at and we need to find the best way that's gonna work for the, the greater mass of this nation rather than just a, a specific few. Okay. Um... What, what role should government play in healthcare, if any, or if any role at all? I think the only role that the government should play, not only in healthcare, but just about everything else, is protecting people's rights. I think that's what the government was put in place for, to make sure that you have the, the right for this and that. Um, markets, you know, the, the healthcare systems, I think they can, they will find out fairly quickly um, it, when the competition is there, what's going to work best, what the people are going to want. They're going to want the best care for the lowest price, obviously. You know, so allowing them to compete with each other for that, I think will only benefit the people of this nation. I agree. Um, my last question on this one is, obviously, the biggest issue with the Affordable Care Act to me was the individual mandate being something that people didn't understand. And uh, not understanding how it worked and what the penalty or fine could be. Um, and we called it the shared responsibility for, uh, fee in the marketplace. And uh, but essentially what it did was it, it forced you to purchase coverage. If you didn't purchase coverage that was considered essential qualifying coverage, then you would be uh, required to pay a fine up to $2,487 per person in the household or 
up to 2.5% of your household income. You don't get to choose which one you pay. You pay whichever is the highest amount. That was how it was set. But people didn't understand that in certain cases, you could get exemption codes and other stuff like that because that stuff wasn't advertised. And a lot of the coverages that people were getting, like for instance, me and Rhett, we're in a younger category group. And before I got sick, I was in a group that would be better served getting a catastrophic plan which has really high deductibles, but extremely low premiums, only be, but only really meant to be used maybe once or twice a year if you had a massive injury or something like that. It saves us a lot of money, but under the Affordable Care Act, it's not qualifying. So if you purchase that plan, you still had to pay a penalty at the end of the year because you weren't considered to be covered by, by the Affordable Care Act. I think this uh, created a lot of monopolies in the market because you're forced to get coverage. The, the, the health insurance companies are gonna get uh, money from the government so they can raise their rates up as high as they want to. And the smaller businesses, they couldn't compete. So the question is, do you support the government in any way incentivizing free market competition as an answer to growing healthcare costs? Yeah, I would support that. I, I would say that, you know, it's, you know, keeping keeping their fingers out of it as much as possible, I think would be very, very important. Um, but as far as incentivizing it, you know, I, I think you start getting on a slippery slope when you start doing that. Um, allow them to compete against themselves, and I, I think would probably be the best way. You know, we just have to find a way to fix the system. That's something that works something that's sensible, something that's affordable, it's effective, and it works for the greater mass of the people. That's that, and, and I think free markets are, are the perfect way to do that. Great, you, Rip. Okay, so we're gonna discuss one of Biden's recent actions and how this applies to our possible financial future. So. China most recently has created a CBDC, which is a central bank digital currency. And it's basically, it's a version of the currency that's based on a private blockchain that can only be viewed by the central bank of that country. Biden, I think it might've been today, signed this cryptocurrency executive order. And the Federal Reserve is now looking at creating a CBDC for us. Why this is worrisome is because they're the only ones. So like Bitcoin or any other uh, cryptocurrency has a public blockchain that anyone can go look at. But a CBDC will have a blockchain that can only be viewed by the government. And they will be able to, to control what you're able to purchase. And they whatever they deem as something that's not beneficial to society, they could stop you from buying it. So what is your view? What is your view on the Federal Reserve? and central banking in general? Oh, goodness. Oh, things like that, I think, are going to be the demise. Um, you know, this is, this is leading towards that one world system or the, the new world order that they're trying to do, you know, something, a global network uh, where they can monitor people. And it's just, it's, it's almost, I, I guess the only way that I can really Explain it is to say it's a, it's a communism throughout the entire world because 
somebody else gets to dictate what you can and can't do with your own money. Um, how that's going to be beneficial to the common people, anybody with common sense will see that it's not going to be. The only people that that's going to benefit are the elites. You know, that's the only, that's the, those are the only, and, that, and I think that's what that system is set up for, is to keep the elites in power and to keep them pulling the strings for the rest of, rest of the country. And, and the world, that, you know, it's not just this nation. Like, like you said, China's doing it, and look at what they're doing with it. You know, they, they, they are so much as monitoring the way that you think, the things that you spend your money on, uh, the things that you look at online, and you're basically on a point system. And depending on where you are in that point system de determines what luxuries or, or food that you're allowed to get or not allowed to get. You know, what kind of craziness is that? But, you know, some countries that, that it works for them. This country, I don't think the American people are going to go for that. I, I hate, I, I did see that article and I, I hate that it was even brought up. I hate that this administration mm -hmm. is trying to push for that. It's but scary. Again, it just makes me but ask I mean, questions. I think, I think it is, um, it should have been, should have been something that everybody's seen coming three miles away. Yeah. I mean, what he did with the IRS, where the IRS can basically snoop on you if you spend more than $600 in a month. You know, that's rent. You know, they can look into your spending habits on if you're spending more than $25 at a time. And you have to ask like, yourself why. Why do they want to know that? Why are they wanting to keep tabs on what you spend your money that you earned on? You know, yeah, Biden's excuse. Asking themselves. Biden's excuse is we're, we're trying to catch the people that are, aren't paying taxes. People spending $25, those are not the people that aren't paying, they're not, they're, they're yeah. tripping out on their but taxes. Their definition of people who don't pay taxes is Elon Musk, who recently paid more taxes than anyone's ever paid at all. And he still you know, gets accused the, of not paying them. Something that people don't seem to understand, but with these corporations and the taxes are, that most of these corpor uh, corporation owners don't take an income from the business. Because they can purchase their homes, yeah. their cars, and all those vehicles as a transaction through the business, and then they. But when they finally do pay themselves, and they usually probably, I know uh, Elon Musk, he has a habit of only paying himself like once every couple of years, and so when they do do that, all of that money that they make off of that cash out is taxable income. So at one at one particular transaction, they pay more in taxes than the rest of the rest of them. You know, and then when you look at the, the statistics of it, they're paying 63% of the taxes in the country anyway. I, like wh where's yeah. this excuse coming from? It, 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 people just don't seem to do the research and the homework on that, on that issue. Um, that, that's exactly it. Again, it falls back into us being complacent and being too trusting. You know, we, we think yeah. we think that everything's going to be done in our benefit without us having to lift a finger. And the truth of the matter is, we have to work. We have to do. We have to do our part. <laughs> we have to be able to put the work in to make sure that people that are saying that they're going to represent us actually do just that. Pushing this type of legislation, these types of, of ideals across this nation, in a in a in an effort to systematically change the nation or, or you know whatever they want to do you know you're trying to break 
a system that's worked for over almost 250 years. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of that? You know, who, who is this going to benefit? And it's not going to benefit the general public. You know, you're, you're and, and it won't even benefit those people that they're trying to target, which they are saying the, the, the wealthy. You can only take so much from the wealthy, you know, before they decide, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my toys and go somewhere else. You can't, you can't prosper a nation in, into wealth or equality by punishing one group, whether that's the rich or, or anyone else. That's why, you know, I believe that free markets is, is the way to go. Give everybody the opportunity to do that. How much work are you willing to put into it and into being prosperous and to pursuing your happiness? You know, those are, those are the rights and those are the things that government should be trying to protect. And it just seems like everything's upside down with this nation these days. And, and I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand how people are allowing this to happen. Do you see any danger uh, following up on what Rhett was talking about there with the government having their hands in this thing with the Bitcoin thing? Because I was looking, uh, looking at the same thing as well, but I also went and seen a video uh, by Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, talking about the ban on Bitcoin mining and what that could potentially do to investments uh, as a form of security. Because with deflation going the way that it is, and the Biden administration seems to be purposely trying to destroy this country economically, uh, without having some type of uh, substance that is tangible back, backing your money in your IRAs or physically having gold underneath your bed, like old grandma used to do, uh, do you see any danger in the government trying to, trying to prevent the purchases of some of these things as the way that it could lead to because they would have control over, over what's acts, uh, accessible? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as I said in the beginning, <clears throat> I believe in a limited government. I think they need to keep their hands out of all these things that they keep trying to expand on. Specifically, individual wealth. Um, you know, the, that those should be hands off. It's bad enough that we see, you know, we work as hard as we do and see our taxes being just abused, being sent to foreign countries, uh, being used on special interest groups um, and things that we don't, we didn't, that's not what I want my money spent on. I want, thing, I want my money, if I'm going to be spending, you know, having taxes taken out of the money that I earn every week, every month, every year, that needs that money needs to go to things that's going to be able to protect me and my family and my community you know not going over to gender studies in another country on the other side of the world um not sending 13 point whatever billion that they're sending to ukraine to help them that's that's none of our business per se and that's probably a little bit deeper story as well but Government has, they have, we, have, the people have to be able to pull the reins back on government. We need to make sure that they understand that they are supposed to represent us, like I said, and get away from this mentality where they feel they know what's best for us. So we will dictate our beliefs onto you and you will do what we say. You know, that's, that's brings us back to almost why we became an independent nation to begin with, if you think about it. You know, we, we, we wanted to get away from those taxes and, 
um, that under the thumb of someone else who felt that they were superior to us. Yes, I, I agree. Um, that, but that, that leads me to another question on this one. This one's more on te more tax related than it is right to the banks. But uh, when it comes down to it, when we're looking at a lot of these uh, these things in our tax system, are there, are, are there any taxes that you see us getting rid of? You know, like property tax or death taxes, estate taxes. Um, and second question to that is, are you in favor of, are you in favor? No, no, I like question that. Are you for or against tax increases? If you are against tax increases, are you in favor of tax decreases as in general percentages? Okay, well, second part first, um, yes, um, for tax decreases. Um, it's a, it's, it should be obvious to every uh, person that too much taxes are being taken from us to begin with. When, when you have this money to be sending to these other countries, when we have issues here in our own nation, we have, we have issues here in this, in this country that we could be focused on, such as infrastructure and, and healthcare and, and other things that could benefit us. Let's get our own house right before we start working on somebody else's house. They are spending our money like there's no bottom to it. And, and not only spending our money, but they're spending our kids' money and their kids' money. You know, and that's, I, I don't think people really understand how they're kicking this can down the road like that with these taxes and these massive spending bills that they're doing, like the omnibus, omnibus bill that they just pushed through. Yeah, one trillion dollars for this one. Never, should never have made it across and should never mm -hmm. have been brought to light in the form that they were, where you can, you know, pull stuff off to the side and add a bunch of stuff at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning. And then, and then tell the Congress, you have to vote on this today. How are they going to read through that 2,740 something pages, you know, in a day? There's no possible way any one of those representatives read through that. But yet yeah, they took it, the vote. Exactly. I, uh, you know, it's a way for them to, it's, a, it's another one of those corrupt tactics, you know, like you said, with the Affordable Care Act, something that they passed through the night. You, 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 drop, you drop in, uh, 2,500 pages and give them an hour to before they have to vote on it, then and they can't filibuster. Uh, them an hour because there's no way they could have read it in an hour. You know, there's yeah, no way you could know everything that's in that bill. It's not only that, but that there's bill. there's no way there's no way uh, that it could have been printed enough copies for them right. in an hour. 2,500 yeah. pages. Uh, unless you're printing one copy and they have to share it. And, you know, that's, it's just not plausible. And I guess uh, another thing, well, this is more of a, of a state, of a state question, a state Mississippi question, but I think it is something I can use as an example that would be comparable to the rest of the country. Last night I was talking with a good friend of mine. Uh, he, he used to live in Mississippi. Now he's living in Alabama because the career opportunities are better. And I was talking to him because I, I was applying for another job. So I was using him as a reference. I always ask my friends permission before I used them. Uh, but I told him, you know, I went to the library yesterday. 
no, not yesterday, Wednesday, I went to the library. I spent, spent about two hours at the library and I was just happened to go upstairs. I was just looking for another economics book. And I came across Mississippi's annual budget, Harrison Central, Harrison County's uh, annual budget for 2020 to 2021. And what I found reading through there on all of the expenditures and what our budget is, is that we have more than $15 million that went unused. And a lot of the expenditures, uh, 29 million of the dollars that we had was primarily with just the court system. Uh, and we talked on infrastructure, Mississippi only spent 500,000 on infrastructure uh, in, in Harrison Central and Harrison County, that's Central Harrison County. Uh, less than 60,000 for, for the Veterans Administration, less than 40,000, no, it was less than 40,000 for Veterans Administration. It was less than 60 for senior care, for senior transportation and things of that nature. If that is a reflection of the greater society, uh, do you see any problems with uh, allowing this money that they, that they use, that they spend to be uh, to be allowed to be to, to be allowed to be spent the way it is without showing some proof uh, in a in a budget or some proof and and some breakdown that people that that people can vote upon as opposed to Congress can vote upon after seeing the breakdowns and then, and that Congress should have to re, uh, should have to respond to the votes of their constituency uh, you know how we make a vote for the electoral college and then does electors make that vote should we have some control in that when you look at a have a have us be able to look down at a breakdown of what their expenditures are and then make that decision and then have our congressperson reflect our vote absolutely absolutely we have to have some type of balanced budget and that you know that's one of the things i would push for is a balanced budget amendment specifically to hold our politicians and, and the elected officials accountable for any state expenditure, any of our nation's debts, any, any spending that goes on, that, that is our money that they are taking. And for, to not expect us to have some type of accountability is just insane. It's insane. You, you, it's like you know just having a free bank for yourself. You get to do with whatever you want to with it. And when, when you get, like you said, these millions of dollars for infrastructure and you find that only a portion of that's being spent, you have to ask the question of why. Why is, the, why is it not being spent the way that it was meant to be spent? Um, where is that money and why is it just sitting there? You know, there, there's always got to be people like you guys that ask those questions, that do your research, that do your due diligence and bring these items up and bring them up to, to where somebody has to be accountable. I agree. Uh, you know, we, we try to do our best here uh, to, to reflect that because there's a, there's a large gap as Rhett, Rhett brought it to my attention. You know, I, I did, when I, when I started this show, it was because I believed that the country was going to hell uh, um, on a, on a, uh, on a bullet train, we're moving there at a rapid pace. And I felt I had a lot, many grievances that needed to be shared. 
and Congress obviously weren't responding to my letters. You know, President Trump responded to one of my letters. He sent me uh, a letter. I'm not sure if he actually read my my letter, but or just sent me a stamped a stamped response. But at least I got a response from yes. the president. I didn't get any from Congress, and I sent the same letter to Congress that I sent to the president. And you know, we you try to approve. Uh, them and and have them redress some of these grievances that you have. And I said, well, everybody has a story to tell. We're all American. And I wanted to tell the story of America uh, from before America was America up to current day. And I was going through a series making it, you know, making my way through history to get us to here. And when I brought Rhett on, you know, we had, we had discussions about perhaps changing the title until Rhett was like, oh, he understands what I'm talking about with the title as the story of America. Um, and then Rhett brought to my attention that we, what we're doing now with these particular interviews that we do, we're filling a void that the media has left out, the local media particularly, has left out a role that could give these, uh, these key issues the light that they need to have, where people can actually know what's going on so that they can make a more informed decision because people aren't going to do the research if you don't give them a reason to go do the research. Right. You know, I, like I said, it was just happenstance that I happened to look upon the budget because I was a, I was there looking for a completely different book. And I, mostly because my power was out. So I was there to, you know, spend some, waste some time at the library and charge my phone until my power came back on. I charge my charge my phone and my devices, and while I'm doing it, I'll read some more books. And you know, if it wasn't for that, I probably never would have stumbled upon that information that is readily available at the public library that every day everybody has access to. And the media doesn't bring this people's attention. Nobody's able to get get these ideas to ask these tougher questions because of that and Rhett brought to my attention that we kind of fill a void that is, has gone unused and uh, I want to give Rhett some time some time to take over ask a couple of questions before I start asking some of the some of the closing questions okay. so I'm sure you're aware that Nowadays, the majority of our public discourse is taking place on social media platforms, just because that happens to be the easiest place to talk to the most people. So what are your views on, well, should the Silicon Valley tech giants have the right to censor and deplatform whoever they choose? Or would you take an approach like regulating these mediums like public utilities to ensure that everybody has the right to say what they have to say. <clears throat> well, yes, I believe that they should be regulated. I do not believe that they should. I mean, they, they, are, are, they are a private entity, so you know they can do whatever they want to with their platforms. Um, but it's gotten to the point where they become almost too big for their bridges um, is the only way that I can think of it. You know, social media has a way of, of influencing a lot of the, you know, the critical thinking that's happening in this nation. 
and when you hear stuff um, like, like you were talking about earlier uh, about the media, uh, you know, at one point the media, the news brought you just that. They would give you a topic and tell you what was what was happening with that particular topic and allow you to be able to uh, assess, you know, what is the issue with that? Uh, how can that be resolved? But allowed you to think of it on your own. They, it is all changed to where not all, we don't want you to be able to think on your own. We, we just want you to believe what we're going to tell you and we're going to dictate to you what's actually happening with this news article. Um, with that, with that being said, that's exactly why I think that they should be monitored. I think that they should be um, definitely watched as far as you know what they're doing uh, with not just their platform, but with their money. When you have these big, uh, big tech companies dumping millions and millions of dollars into elections, how that never rose red flags to everybody in this nation is just hey, I was. I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe it. But, you know, as time goes on, we're learning more and more. And uh, people like me are just getting angrier and angrier. And we're wanting to make sure that we don't allow this to happen again. And that we're able to fix a lot of the things that we've seen um, that have happened that we don't agree with as, as a majority of the people. Um, regardless of what your view is on any of these political uh, stances, it should be a forum for us to be able to have a conversation. You should be able to tell your point of view. I should be able to tell my point of view. And we, at the end of the day, we either agree or agree to disagree about you know, what our stances are, but have that conversation nonetheless. These tech giants and, and uh, media outlets are taking that away from you, taking your ability to think on your own and come up with your own decision. And I think that is absolutely detrimental to the people in this country. We have to do something about it. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you there. I think in order to have, in order to properly determine where we go as a people, we have to get as many ideas into the marketplace as possible and to let the exactly. best ones win. And that yeah. includes letting bad ideas into the marketplace too, so well, that everybody can see you know, who these people really are. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree. Um, you can go ahead, DeAndre, if you got. Um, I do have a couple of cool questions. I wanted to give you some more spotlight since I've been doing a lot of talking. Okay, but, well, you know. I can ask one more. This is going to, I'm going to switch to uh, foreign aid. So how do you think that we should, because being one of the wealthiest countries in the world, the number one economy, um, we have taken a, a major role in the world stage. And I think to a certain extent that that's our responsibility just because that's the position we have. But it's clear that some of our foreign aid is completely wasted. So how should we determine which countries deserve our aid and which don't? Wow. I think that would have to be on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, it, it's very much kind of like law enforcement work. You can go to a hundred different traffic stops and you're not going to treat them all the same. You're going to treat each one based on what that particular issue is at the time. Was it a red light? Uh, was it speeding? Was it a crash? You know, 
I think the same thing should be applied to these, you know, the, in supporting uh, other countries. You know, what is the need? What is the purpose? Um, I don't believe that we should have our fingers in shaping the way that governments are run. I think, you know, that that should be allowed to develop on their own. If it's a system they agree with and they like and their masses voted on that or uh, some kind of democratically way, you know, uh, coming to an agreement that this is the way that we want to do it, we should allow that to happen. If it fails, you know, that's that's one thing. And that's where we can come in and offer humanitarian aid, that type of stuff, to help them maybe get back on their feet and, you know, along with that aid, say, well, that, that plane you just tried, it didn't work, so you might want to try something else. You know, maybe give them a little direction on that. But uh, giving indiscriminately, um, you know, our, our tax dollars to these countries for things that make absolutely no sense, uh, no, I'm a big thumbs down for that. I, I will not agree with that at all. Uh, there has to yeah, be I think uh, we saw a major failure of foreign policy, probably the biggest one in our history with Biden's botched Afghanistan withdrawal. And it's like, we expect these, all these countries in the world. It's like, we want every country to be a Western liberal democracy when these places have never, never have. And that's not part of their culture. These people are not going to fight for it. That's just not their history. And it's it never going to work. Well may be something they don't even want. They don't want the, the kind yeah, of Yeah, often that's the case. With their yes, no, it's not their desires at all. Uh, you, you know, uh, again, I'm going back to Thomas Sowell. I talk about him a lot because his, his work, his writings are so influential. In Conflict of Visions, so talk, he talks about the constrained and uncon. Un- unconstrained vision and oftentimes it's the constrained vision that says that human nature is human nature and it's not changeable we all have potential but our potential as humans is down to selfishness and needs for our own self we have we have our own goals and self-sustainability is human nature that's what it all reflects to the unconstrained vision says that well, yeah, I agree that humans have un, have unlimited potential, but if we can all ex, uh, increase our intellect, increase our IQ, we can do all of these things and then the possibilities become unlimited. But you have to have somebody who's reached the state of nirvana at the top who can then pass down those ideas to everybody else. And that's sort of the, simple, the simplest way of looking at the differences between the unconstrained and constrained visions whereas those people who are more conservative and more rooted in realism are constrained those people who have a more ideological view and more tend to be more on the left i won't call them liberal because liberals tend to be constrained if you look at the liberals in the word in the true sense of a liberal a classical liberal should i say uh they are also very constrained in their vision like the milton friedman's of the world uh, but these leftists tend to have the head in the clouds type of mentality when it comes to operating the world. Somebody needs to pass down rules and structure. And that seems to be the case for young folks, for younger people that are just not coming into the workplace, that they feel that there needs to be rules. Somebody needs to tell them what to do at, at all points of their life. Otherwise, they they 
they fall into chaos, absolute uh, chaos, because they can't operate on their own without somebody telling them what to do. Yep, you're you're absolutely right. And you know, it, you know, with that being said, you know, if a country is going to come to this nation and say, you know, we need help, um, you would, like you and I, if if we needed help with somebody, we would go with we would go ask somebody who would be the best capable of actually being able to help us. So they're obviously doing something right. Um, so with that. With that ask, you would have to say, you know, along along with this help that we're going to give you, we're going to give you a little bit of direction to try to help you out. It's it turns into where it's not just a handout, and we're helping them get, you know, fix something that they totally screwed up. I mean, we have that in our own nation. We have cities who are, you know, falling falling down around themselves, and we keep pumping money into them. And what are they doing? They're they're not doing anything to fix it. So there has it has to be attached with this. Look, by the way, what you're doing is not working. You need to try something else. Why don't you try this or why don't you try that? Give them a little bit of advice. Give them a light at the end of the tunnel and try to lead them in the right direction to help them help themselves. You know, handouts aren't, aren't the solution. That's not going to work for uh, in any country, any city. You know, you've got to be able to get these cities to, and, and these people to understand that they need to be able to help themselves. And if that means sucking up your pride and making some changes and doing what you need to do that's going to benefit not just yourself, but your community, uh, your state, your country, whatever that might be, then you need to do just that. You, you need to suck it up and you need to do the right thing for the people to, for everybody to be able to prosper. Yeah, I think uh, the two best examples of countries that absolutely made the best of the foreign aid is Germany and Japan after world war two. I mean, yeah. there's, they're the top 10 they're in the top 10 economies of the world. Japan's number three. Yeah, so, but all I of them mean, can't be. Totally you, know. you know, it comes down to uh, also follow up on that. That's another question is should America uh, stop giving foreign aid and focus more on America, fix America before they get, start giving other foreign aid, you know? Uh, I, don't it, I don't think it should be stopped, but I think it should be limited. Uh, and I think limited quite a bit right now. Um, focus, on, focus on our own house, you know, fix things here. When we become the nation that can be looked up to uh, by other countries, which I, I think we've fallen away from that, uh, because, of our politics, because of our politics, because of the things that we do that seem to be working. Um, and, and, and once those things are fixed, then, you know, start helping a little bit more, a little bit more that, that you're able to do and still keep your house in order. Yeah, we're, I mean, in America, we're looking at, we're looking at possibly World War III, but at the same time, we're in a cold civil war possibly on the brink of a civil war ourselves yeah. we can't do both of those things at the same time a very bloody one at that because the, the it's gotten so bad with the clash of ideals that it's going to become a clash of blows sooner or later because i, I hope it doesn't i, I kind of see that writing on the wall as well and i'm hoping that if there are enough people in this nation that are going to stand up and try to prevent that from happening um and that are 
willing to stand up and fix some of the things that, are, that have caused us to go in this direction to begin with. Um, and, and that would be my first solution. You know, let's try to fix it first before we fight about it. Um, but yes, if it continues in the, in the path that it's on, uh, you're, you have two totally different factions of people in the mindset that, that people have in this nation. And it's either, yeah. you know, it, it's either one side or the other. And there's very little or almost no lines of communication where they can come to a compromise on a lot of this well, stuff. That, you know, I think that goes program. down to, that goes down to the leadership, uh, the yeah. way that the leadership has treats, right. each, treats each other. You know, when, when, uh, when Pence was the vice president, you know, I, I never thought uh, looking at the way Pence uh, treated himself, you know, he's obviously a, uh, a old, old school in the way that he, in the way that his mannerisms are. Mm -hmm. So very gentle, very gentlemanly, like uh, very different from the president, uh, Donald Trump, uh, who is a New Yorker born and raised, you know, New Yorkers are boisterous. That's how they, that's just how they are. Yeah. So, but I never thought that Trump or Pence would stop communicating or stop listening to the other side. Never once did they ever give me that vibe. But then I have have Nancy Pelosi on camera on uh, at saying that when the other side starts speaking, she just stops listening. Yeah. And so you have one side that's not even listening to what the other side has to say. You know, how... how yeah, that they, that they trickles down, yeah. You know that trickles down to the rest of the to the constituents and and put us all in a basket and say you know these people are not worthy of this or that. Um, gosh, there's so many things that have happened. Yeah, you got one year. side that plays fair and one that doesn't. And that that part of the problem because I I specifically think. With the GOP, for one, they need fighters in, the, in their in their uh, camp. Um, it comes back now to, to what we what, what we've been saying all along. We're fighting a different kind of battle, and I don't think I don't think that they truly. Trump was our best chance of winning that battle. I, I honestly think that Trump was the best chance for the GOP of winning that battle because he's he's been on on the other side's team for a long time. He knows how they operate. He knows how they work. But he also knows how to strike at the core of social issues to speak and well, it was claim. Very it was very matter-of-fact in the way that he, he moved his policies. And it, it made sense. It did things to help this nation as a whole prosper. And, and it's mm -hmm. unlike, you know, what you're seeing now. You know, there I, I, you really only see a, a certain group of people being able to prosper. The people that are saying, oh, well, you know, the American people can suck it up and pay a little extra gas, you know, and a little mo extra money for food and stuff. They're just going to have to suck it up because of this economy and all this. They don't have those things to worry about, you know, like like you and I might have. You know, when we're, we're trying to make our payments every month for our mortgage and then wondering where we're going to be able to buy food from. Um, they've yeah, been uh, yeah. The, the, race, the, the raising costs, the raising costs has been so devastating for a person like me, especially with me switching, switching jobs and one jobs, holding off the unemployment and my vacation pay. So I'm not getting any money. Uh, and if it, if it wasn't for for savings and some of the programs I that I can utilize because of my health, 
heck, I would be, I would be in a in a huge pickle, huge bind, and because I, right now, yeah, think and vast majority of people that are contemplating what they're going to be able to do over these next three, four, or five months. Yeah, you know, people like me, I don't, I don't receive uh, uh, food stamps. I don't receive Section Eight benefits. So when I go to the store, I got to pay it out my pocket. And when I go to the store. Uh, to the family dollar right down the road since it's walking distance and I, if I go to the store to get uh, uh, some ground meat frozen and it costs me eight dollars for one pound I'm a, you know I'm a little concerned because no, I'm, I'm just how, <laughs> yeah I, yeah how, how much how much money uh, you know do I have to spend you know I, I went to the store at family to the same family dollar, um, you know we we also have a supply shortage there, so there's never anything there when I go there. Thanks to Biden and his policies, but uh, two bags, just food, just simple food items, meat, milk, I think some cereal, some sugar, uh, and maybe a couple kangas. I can't remember what everything I bought, but I know it was two bags. And I'm looking at almost ninety dollars at yeah. the family dollar. You know, they don't even have they don't even have a dollar section in there anymore. It's a dollar twenty-five, the cheapest. Uh, you know, we did the same exact thing just yesterday, as a matter of fact, and we were spitting angry at the what little we got for a hundred dollars. Yeah, I like you know, if just the basics, like you said. Meat, milk, you know, just those kind of things. And and before we knew it, we're at hundred dollars. It's like, it's it's incredible. It's if I was still living where I was living at before, if I was still living in Bogalusa and working down here on the coast, I wouldn't be able to eat because I drove an SUV. And I this is when Trump was in office, so gasoline prices were dollar seventeen down here on the coast. I'm on an SUV, a 2007 uh, Chevy Tahoe. And I'm spending $150 every couple of days to fill the tank up to get to and from Bogalusa and the coast every day. If I was still living there, having to spend $4, almost $5 a gallon, oh man, I would not be able to eat. Uh, you know, and, and there's, and you don't have a choice when it comes to gasoline costs. They're like, oh, suck it up. You don't have a, you don't have a choice. You have to spend this money, or, or you're not going to be able to go to work. You're not going to be I able to go to the store. From the American people, they they don't understand that. They they become millionaires sitting up in Washington, um, doing what they're what they've been doing over the past several years, and some of them several decades. You know, so they they absolutely lost touch with the American people are going through what middle America is going through, and. You know, being the largest class of citizens, you know, the, the working class, we're the we're the class that makes this nation work. We are the grinding wheels for this nation. And I think they see the writing on the wall that the, these wheels are all getting pissed off. And we, we want a change. We want something that's going to actually help us. And for, you know, to have somebody in office saying, well, that's out of my hands. There's nothing I can do about that. It's Putin's fault. And, and all these excuses on on different different things that are going on in this nation that is just it's the epitome of sadness i would have to say because there's there's just no way there's no way he's just 
seemed so unprepared to be sitting in that office, you know, and, and the vice president as well. So, oh, the uh, vice president, she seems to be worse than worse than Biden. Uh, you know, people give people say Biden is a deranged, crazy old fool. I think he knows exactly what he's doing, and uh, they're just using that as a, as an excuse. But with Kamala. Uh, I don't think she knows what she's doing at all. At least Biden knows he's uh, ruining the country. Kamala <laughs> would be ruining the country, wouldn't even know that she's doing it. <laughs> you're, you're giving them more credit than I would. I, I kind of feel that they're both <clears throat> wandering around there aimlessly at some point and people are out oh, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think he's not wandering around because I think he's sometimes he, like today when he left the podium, he took literally one question, didn't even give a real answer, and and walked off kind of I'm like, gosh, this guy looks this guy looks like he's about to fall over and he's walking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I should I shouldn't be insulting the president, but my God, I mean, you're supposed to be projecting strength to Putin. And Putin's the, the type of man, uh Putin's the type of man he's like like a little over five feet tall. So he's trying his best to, to one-up people because, you know, when you're that short, you know, people are like, well, the shortness has nothing to do with it. Well, when you're that short, you pay, you make power That's plays. You, you make power plays, but you flex your, you flex your might a lot more than somebody who's tall and got a lot of muscle I agree. because you, because you could do that. It's a, it's a thing of intimidation. And like, I remember listening uh, to Dana Perino the other day on the on on uh, the five talk about the empty uh, how Congolese Rice had met Putin and Putin got upset and he stood up and looked over her and then she stood up and now she's looking <laughs> over <laughs> now she's looking over him and he did not like that at all but Biden's there he's look like oh, oh he look he looks he looks sad he looks like he's ready to fall over and die I mean I hate to say it. And you got you you gotta think what is China thinking about about what they can do to Taiwan? What is the Saudis thinking now that, that we have a horrible relationship with them because of Biden? What's Iran thinking? What's that what's the Taliban thinking now that Joe Biden's taking them off of our no-flight list? Thinking they're, they're all they can get one over on us now. And they're like if there ever was a time. If there ever was a time to attack America, it would be now. And if World War III were to happen, we already know who the new Axis powers are. Russia, China, and in the Middle East, and North Korea, because they got a nuclear weapon now. You know, They waited until Trump was out of office and started developing it again. And they say they finally got a missile that can reach the United States. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm not, sure. not sure how strong that missile is, but they've got one that can at least reach Hawaii. And so now we're we're looking at this problem here where Japan's right there. If they get attacked, we got to get involved because we have a contract to protect them, even though they have enough money and training to protect themselves. If if uh, South Korea gets gets attacked, we got to go to war to protect them. We got to we have so many commitments on all over the place. And Biden, he's projecting such weakness. I mean, we have a commitment to protect Ukraine because of the Democrats and their policies back in the 90s of, of Bill Clinton. Oh, Bill and, Clinton. You know, but and now 
I don't want us to go to war because you know, but he, Biden has to do something because we have a commitment. This is why to the founders said avoid entangling alliances. Yes, they specifically but, said that. And what did we yeah. do? But see, and now the problem is, is we have a commitment to do something. And when Biden is not doing anything, it's letting our allies know that, okay, if something happens, he doesn't have our back. It's letting our enemies know that they can do whatever they want without response. And it, I mean, it doesn't have to be military. Biden could have squashed Russia's energy a long time ago and prevented the war in Ukraine um, because he killed our energy and started buying Russian energy. He's funding the war by buying Russia's by buying Russia's energy. Yes, you know, you know. After he allowed them to open the Nord Stream two pipeline. That yeah, you know, you empowered him, uh, and and within months, you know, he's he's take, trying to take over another country. <laughs> so it's uh, and you know, you know there are other nefarious. There are other nefarious reasonings by why Ukraine and Russia is a squabble between next door neighbors or blood relatives that are duking it out and one of them has to win. But all of it comes down to America's decisions back in the 90s with Clinton and the response that the West has been making to Putin uh, and the former Soviet Union. Uh, the entire agreement of NATO was based upon the Soviet Union and all of that stuff. And then they, and NATO, the West, they've been lagging behind so so poorly. But you know, I, I digress. That's just, that's something for another. Right. Yeah. We could have, have a really good conversation on that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So I want to get I want to get to some to, to some other questions here. So. Uh, the cost of inflation has reared its head, and while the overt effects are income or increases in prices, we we all know that the that the effects here, the underlying effects, are going to be here to stay for a long time. I'm predicting that they're going to be with us for about 20 years or so, because I think the market's going to crash by the end of this decade. Um, but with that being said, I think that we need some we need some relief. So what solutions do you bring to the table that will help deal with inflation in the short term, just to give Americans some relief at the gas pump at, at the very least? Uh, well, there's a lot that can be done. Um, take the first five days of the Biden administration and undo everything that he signed executive orders on. That was 90% <laughs> of it right there. Um, oh yes, it would. Shutting, shutting down the pipeline, you know, the working in the pipeline and saying, well, you know, that pipeline wasn't working anyway. It, it's the same thing with the Nord Stream too. You know, you're, you're, you've got money coming in because the potential of money that that pipeline was going to bring would help enrich the nation. Lifting all of these sanctions on, on uh, drilling, um, what they're saying is, oh, well, you know, you've got all these thousands of, uh, of wells and nobody's drilling them. But they won't tell you that 60% of those wells are not producing. There's nothing in them. Yeah. So they also won't tell you that uh, they'll drill yeah. and waste their money and time and everything and basically go bankrupt drill, drilling a dry hole. You know, yeah. what, who's going to want to do that? The federal lands, we know where the oil is. It, yeah, really, Biden said that you can't. Where it is. And they know where they yeah. need to be drilling, but the, the government's not allowing them to do that. 
You know, right, like he said it himself. He's no no drilling on federal land. So where are you going to get the oil from? Well, you can't drill in the ocean anymore because they after the BP oil spill here on the coast, they don't want us doing that. And so they just keep shutting off everything. So um, what ways do you think are most effect are most efficient in increasing and protecting America's economy from collapsing? Well, there, there's going to be several things. Uh, COVID restrictions are going to have to be lifted. That, that's, that's a, I think, one of the primary reasons that we're in the predicament that we're in. <coughs> Shutting down and stopping small businesses from being able to prosper and um, generate money, generate uh, uh, the working class, uh, keeping them going, you know, that, that it all, it's all tied together. There are so many things that are going on, you know, with these businesses um, that are that have been detrimental and, and that has led us down this path. And for this, it's like you said it earlier when you said, you know, you think Biden's walking around and he knows exactly what he's doing. You have to scratch your head and wonder if that's that's not what's in his plan, you know, to to bring this nation to its knees and help collapse this nation. Runaway inflation. Um, wanting to you know all you know stop all the fossil fuels you know drilling and everything else and move everything to stuff that they've actually invested in such as uh, the renewables <laughs> solar wind power all these electric cars and, and and everything again to me that's just kicking the can down the road you know at some point you know what do you do with dead batteries you, you throw them away and you're talking about setting up an infrastructure where you have every vehicle running on these batteries on, on lithium, the mining and the, and the, uh, the, the process that it takes to create these vehicles burns more energy than it would if they would have just left it to fossil fuels. And, and for people not to see that is it, just, it's bewildering to me. I absolutely agree with that. I've said that many times that it, that it, 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 you, to build these batteries, you need petroleum, you need oil. To get the turbines to spin in these windmills, you need to lubricate them with oil. And many of them work on electricity, which requires oil or coal if you want to go to old school. It would be great if we had a country that could, that could harness you know, the sun's energy or the wind's energy uh, to a point that it, it could actually become sustainable and something that we could use. But I don't believe that we have the technology at this point yeah. to make that a working reality. Like I said, yeah. in, in theory, it's great. But in practicality, it's not working. You know, yeah, because most of, that, most of that energy, most of that energy is wasted because it's not transferable. Right. And, it's, and we don't have the technology to be able to store it so that you can use it on a cloudy day or yeah. at nighttime. So most of that energy dissipates uh, when the wind stops going and the, and the sun's not out. Yeah. And so um, let me go on to another question here. I think this one, I already know what your answer is gonna to be to it. At least I think I do. Uh, and this is probably one that we could talk on for days as well, but should the police be defunded? Or if not, at the very least, should funds be uh, reallocated towards other programs involving the police? 
well, yeah, I think you know where my answer is going to go with that. I absolutely am against the defunding of the police. That makes absolutely no sense to me that that was even a thought that was spoken in public by any, any person in this nation. Um, to me, that's the equivalent of having a home and you have a home security system, but you never turn it on and you leave your doors open. And then you turn around and want to get mad when your stuff comes up missing or people come in and hurt you or your family. What sense, what sense does that make? You know, it, it makes none whatsoever. The educational system in our law enforcement, I, I think you know, there, there's room for improvement, absolutely. And then that would be in every field, not just in law enforcement. But since that's the topic we're on, you know, funding our law enforcement, our military, that needs to be an absolute priority. It, it just has to be. You know, you have to be able to feel safe in your community, safe in your own home, safe when you go to the store. And you start taking money, you start taking funds away because you want to reimagine law enforcement or, you know, whatever term that they want to use to, you know, try to take money away from law enforcement and uh, offer up things like, well, we'll just send social workers out there to do that. How I love to see a social that? worker come to a How domestic violence situation. Especially in these dangerous cities where the first thing is a gunshot. Uh, yeah, send the social worker to a domestic squabble, which I'm pretty sure you know statistics on that, or that that's the majority of the time where these uh, people with gunshot victims, are, other than gang-related violence, but majority of these are gunshot victims of stabbings are from domestic squabbles. So, so go ahead and send the social worker to that, see how that works out. Uh, a follow-up to this question is what are ways that you believe the police can become more involved in the community without actually, without necessarily having to do police work per se? You know, uh, like I know in Hattiesburg, a good friend of mine, uh, Reverend Michael Jordan, he goes and talks to these the juvenile inmates all of the time, and they get involved in trying trying to get them you know, to do some stuff. And I know some places have had police fundraising events where it's kind of like a little parade or they go out to the community center and play sports with the kids or something like that. So what ways, what are some, some ways that you think the police can better serve the community or get involved in the community without necessarily having to do the task of policing? I think our uh, community service efforts are a, a perfect example of how that actually works. Um, having law enforcement directly involved with things like uh, after school programs, uh, summer programs, things that you know are not just uh, educational for our youth and, and our communities, but teaches, teaches people life skills that they can use. Uh, and helping build those communities up. These are the exact things that we have the capability of doing. We've just gotten away from them. Education in the classroom. You know, as, when I was a school resource officer, we taught DARE, we taught GREAT, we taught Project Alert. There were several different, different grade appropriate curriculums that we taught in the schools. And funding just started drying up on those things and we couldn't afford to do it anymore. These were great. These were great programs that I, that kept law enforcement in direct contact with their communities, 
not with just the students, but with their parents, the people in their communities, with the staffs at the schools, uh, the administration. These were all successful programs. And you know, to lose funding on stuff like that is, is really, you're seeing the result of it now when crime starts going up and starts picking up, you have to look at what are these kids doing? What is it that they have that's positive to them? And, and understand that even if we have these programs in play, we are a temporary solution to it. Um, when, when we were coming into schools, we knew that we only had them for a finite time. And then at the end of the day, we were gonna to have to release them back into their communities, regardless of what the, what's happening in that community. So if it's a bad community, I mean, those kids still have to go home today. But uh, realizing that and wanting to make a change and showing them that there's a better way and that there is options, you know, in their decision-making, understanding that, you know, with each decision you make comes a consequence, good or bad. Um, and I, I think that helped open a lot of kids' eyes. And I think that worked to help, uh, you know, build that security and build that relationship with, with our communities. I'm going to get ready to do a lightning round here because we're going to close up soon. You got any questions before I do, Rhett? No, go ahead. Okay, so these are mostly going to be uh, yeah, yes or no questions, but if you should feel the need to need to elaborate on one of your answers, feel free to do so. Uh, are you for or against the legalization of illegal drugs? Uh, it depends on the drugs. Heroin? Cocaine? No. Marijuana, eh, you know, not so much. Uh, it doesn't doesn't bother me in the least, as far as legalizing. Okay, are you for or against debt forgiveness? Uh, primarily, uh, primarily, um, education debt, uh, student loan debts. Um, I, I am not for forgiveness on that. Um, I think that there should be more money invested in educating kids prior to them making those decisions that seem to be a lot of bad decisions uh, when they start taking these courses that uh, amount to nothing, that does not put them on a, on a career path. I agree. Uh, what are some issues you'd like to see changed in the community? and on a community basis that you think uh, will be beneficial for a politician to promote? Um, finding a way to, to bridge those gaps. Um, being able to have those conversations again where you can have a, uh, a legitimate debate with, with your peers and come to some type of conclusion at the end of those. You know, our, our communications have gotten so far away, we've all become keyboard warriors and making our comments from behind the screen and thinking, that, you know, that this is the way to do it. You know, these face-to-face -face meetings mean more so, more than anything in these days. You've got to be able to know how to communicate with people. So I think that would be a, a priority. On infrastructure. So we hear a lot of bluster about infrastructure, but seldom ever uh, see anything get done. First, to get an idea of where you lie on the infrastructure uh, spectrum, please define what infrastructure is to you 
and then explain which issues you are most concerned about dealing with infrastructure. Uh, <clears throat> infrastructure, I think, is, is, is a wide range of things, roads, bridges, buildings, communities, that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, with, with the times of, of changing um, internet, you know, have been included in that as well as other things. <coughs> Finding things that are going to work for the masses, I think would be very important uh, as far as it, under the infrastructure umbrella anyway. Uh, it has to be something that everybody can use and, and, and be able to benefit from. And I think that's where that will fall. How much money is necessary for a comprehensive infrastructure bill? Oh, gosh, without doing more research on that, I think to throw out a, just an oddball number. Uh, I, I, I think that's one of those things that, you know, if, if I'm elected, um, you know, I would definitely spend more time looking into that and being exactly what we talked about earlier, being accountable for every single penny. If you're taking money from people's paychecks to specifically put for infrastructure, I think there needs to be accountability. And I need to be able to show you where that money is going or why it's not going to specific things uh, and have a, have a good reason uh, to make you understand that, you know, this is why it's being done this way. This is a follow-up to this question. Do you feel that too much money is, uh, not, not too much money, do you feel that too much time is spent on infrastructure development and infrastructure projects. Uh, for example, um, Mississippi, our infrastructure is obviously lacking. Uh, the road on Highway 49 uh, going north to Hattiesburg has been getting repaired or remade since I left Texas in 2016. And it's still the same as it was when I got back. So that's that's what that question is more about is, do you feel that too much time is spent on some of these projects or not enough time? I, I think there's too much time is actually spent on the hard labor work of, of trying to make corrections to those things. And there's not enough time on finding ways to prevent that from happening in the future, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. Uh, I think there needs to be more research. You know, it, it's just like a lot of the communities. We've encroached on swamplands and uh, uh, grounds that weren't specifically suited for building on. And when you have these, when you build these neighborhoods in, in these particular areas and the roads start falling apart, you got people complaining about the potholes and why this road's always having to be repaired. Well, the infrastructure that wasn't there to begin with, you paved the road over something that wasn't meant to have a road paved over. You built a house on, on a foundation that wasn't meant to have a foundation there. So those are some of the things that I think we need to spend more time on. If we're going to be building these roads, if we're going to be building these buildings in uh, whatever neighborhood that you decide, there needs to be more input and more research done on the type of ground that you're looking at. <coughs> Excuse me to build these things and make sure that it's gonna be something sustainable, something that you're not gonna to have to repair every year. That sounds very reasonable. Uh, do you support a pay increase for the military? Yes. 
uh, you know, military law enforcement, absolutely. If you're talking about protection and you're talking about the safety of the people of this nation, that's where I would put my money. Do you believe that the Department of Education is a necessary component of a government? Yes and no. I don't think it should be it, it, just for the fact of the way that it's being utilized now, but I also feel that there needs to be some type of entity just like that, but used in the right way, protecting the rights of the people. Should American troops be policing the world? Yes or no, explain. I would say no. Um, and again, that's that's kind of a, a a slippery slope there as well. We talked about it earlier on these countries, you know, wanting to have a way of life the way that they want. And I think that the way that we are doing it, the way that we are utilizing our own military policing, uh, it opens the door for too many not so nice things to happen. Um, you know, of different ways of influencing different countries and different governments. Ukraine is a perfect example of that. They had a democratically, democratically elected um, government and uh, with the Obama administration back in 2014, uh, went and basically overthrew that government and placed their own in, in, in Ukraine. And you see the result of that with all of this, you know, everything that's going on um, with, with the things that nobody's supposed to talk about, the, the, uh, the laptop, you know, that nobody knows about, um, all this money exchange, all these foreign entities, how many, how many politicians do we have in the upper echelons of our, of our Congress and Senate have family members working over there? It, it's got to make you scratch your head and wonder, you know, what the heck's going on, but, you know, who am I? <laughs> I'm an everyday blue collar worker working in a, you know, a blue collar job. So, you know, my opinion means nothing to them. Um, did Congress have term limits, yes or no? Absolutely. Term limits are the, the only way to have a level playing field in our representatives. Um, as I said earlier, when they've been in there too long, they lose touch with who they are supposed to be representing. And I think that's exactly where we are right now. To follow up to this question is, in your view, what is the ideal number of terms for Congress, Senate, and and uh, House of Representatives? Um, the House, I think the Senate, we'll start with the Senate since they have six-year terms. I don't think that they should have more than two terms. So a, about a 12-year term. The House is kind of a precarious thing because I think two years is not enough. I think it should be three, at least three. And I say that because you turn, you turn this particular form of government into nothing but a campaigning session. You're campaigning from one year to the next to the next to the next. You're doing more campaigning than you're actually doing legislation. <laughs> so I would say if we can move it to three years, maybe a three or four year term limit, again, right around that 12 year limit. If it stays as it is, no more than five, five uh, Five terms. Supreme Court be term limited. Pardon? That should the Supreme Court be term limited? 
Yes, I think every branch of our government should be should have term limits. And what is the ideal? Out. What is the ideal number for the Supreme Court? That would be interesting. Um, uh, again, I'm going to stick around that ten year mark. And I, I think anything more than that, and I think it should be <coughs> probably uh, kind of like the Senate uh, or, or the other branches where you have just a certain section. If we have nine, three of them are up this year. In the next two years, another three are up, and and so on, so that you know you have uh, an, an evil, even revolving uh, seat that's going on in there. Okay, um, and that brings us to the end of it. I guess my final question to you would be: If you are elected to Congress, will you commit? to term limiting yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. I feel okay. that if I'm elected to Congress, I specifically the House of Representatives, um, my ideal is, is doing three terms at the two year term limit that it, ha that it has right now. Um, and if I decided to pursue, or if I felt that the, the constituents of this state wanted me in politics longer than that, that I would have to step up my game and maybe run for Senate or something like that. Otherwise, I would have to get out of it because I don't, I don't believe that uh, I, I should be in that much longer than that. I, I think there needs to be other people who, are, who stay in touch with this country and, and with this district um, to bring fresh ideas in and, and not expect me to do it year after year after year. It has to be, it has to be equal across the board. Absolutely agree. Um... With that, that brings us to a close. You have any other questions or, or uh, closing questions or closing statements for our guests, Rhett? Uh, it's not really a question, but I recently, uh, I wasn't aware of how many states had already passed this in their state legislatures, but in order to have a, to have a convention of states take place, 34 states have to ratify or pass the resolution so far we've got 18 we need 16 more and if it passes in all of the states that it's up for review in this year it will pass oh it will well overpass it's like 40 states so it takes a little bit more than it's that, only though, it's being heard it? recently it's 34 states i thought, I thought it was state um, legislatures I thought it was I thought it was also had to be two thirds of the Senate, two thirds of the House and two thirds of the states. It's two not. No, it's just the states. The, just the, states. the federal government okay. has the federal government has no control over a convention. OK, then I So they present um, amendments and in order for the amendments to pass 38 of the state so three quarters of the states have to pass those but the federal government cannot do anything about it they have no control at all and so i would like to see that happen this year that might actually help us out tremendously well, that, that might be might, the thing that saves that us might be the only way that we get term limits implemented other than yeah, that yeah. because i don't i don't think anybody in congress i know there's several people that have brought it up and tried to um bring a bill up to to put term limits on yeah, but they're not going to limit they're not going yeah, to turn limit themselves. Yeah, why why would why would they get rid of their cash flow? I mean, they're make they're making bank, they're making money. So why why would they get rid of that career? 
that's exactly proof in the pudding. When they start thinking about themselves more than they do their constituents, that's that should be a red flag for everybody that voted for that person. Everybody, yeah. everybody in Congress should be should be on board with with term limits. Every single one of them. Yeah. That everybody, everyone be. in Congress, they'll individually say they are for it. You know, I would love to see them do. But then uh, nobody proposes a bill. I would love to have seen them do what Mitch McConnell did. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, that shifty turtle that he is. But I would love to. <laughs> but I would love to see yeah. Mitch, uh, not Mitch, but but something happened similar to what Mitch did. If the Republicans take control, I would love to see them put the bill on the floor uh, for term limits and see how many people are willing to put their name to it. Like they put the Green New Deal on the floor with Mitch McConnell uh, and in the Senate and force the Democrats to see who's going to put their name next to it. Nobody did. Yeah. So if if the people in Congress are really serious about the term limits or they're really serious about their constituency, put it on the floor and talk of your actions. And don't make this one of those closed sessions where people can't see it. Right. Televise it so people can see <laughs> exactly Man. exactly what you think of yourself and exactly yeah. how you yeah. think your I constituents think should think. Representatives in there right now that are trying to push for that. And, uh, and, and I think that's part of the problem is that there are just not enough in there. You need more people. And I think when you get, there's going to come to a point where it's a tipping point where they say, well, there's X amount of people are supporting this for term limits and I better jump on board or I'm going to be primaried out. Well, see, that's what my thing is. Get, that's exactly what should happen. Get the Republican leader or whoever, if they really say they believe in accountability and believe in term limits, have them put that on the floor. And anybody that votes against it, let the American people see that so they know who to primary out and get and replace those people until we give until we have the people or enough people in Congress that can pass term limits. Ideally, I would like to see that actually come to a vote, you know, on in the ballot box. I, I would like the people to be able to vote whether they want term limits for these people or not. Because like I said, they're not going to vote it for themselves. And that brings us back to conventional states. That's exactly what they're trying to do. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely a group that I support. And, and I think uh, they have a great, a great movement that uh, is moving in the right direction. And I think a lot of people are starting to see that. Absolutely. Well, uh, Mr. Brooks, I'd like to thank you for joining us here. We've gone uh, about two hours, 30 minutes. So we had a really nice discussion. Uh, I want to give you the, the floor for the last for the last uh, couple seconds or minute or so. So uh, to firstly, uh, if there's anything that we didn't cover that we didn't ask that you'd like to put some clarity on that you'd like to have your constituency know about something that a, a key issue of yours, I'd like to give you that time to to say that. And then when you're done with that, uh, tell our tell your constituency where they can find you, how they can get in contact with you, how they can donate to you if they if they choose to do so. Okay, I think there's two things that uh, I would like to uh, bring up that I think wasn't really covered. Uh, number one, I'm pro-life, period. Um, I'll fight tooth and nail to ban abortion, enact a federal heartbeat bill, uh, preserve the Hyde Amendment, because I want to be able to help protect all of God's children. Uh, the second would be election integrity. Um, by supporting things like a national voter ID laws and maybe even an, an all paper ballot system, something that uh, has civilian oversight. 
no more of these secret ballots and secret rooms or suitcases being pulled out from under tables. Make this thing as transparent as you possibly can to work for everybody. Um, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but it's you know it's one of the things that's got so many people angry. Um, there was a there was an easy way to fix a lot of the anger that was going on with this past election, and all it had to do with is the the party that ended up saying they won the election to say, okay, well, you know, you have questions about this and maybe there were some discrepancies in these voting processes. Let's look at, let's look at how this happened and what's going on. Just allow the people to see that it was actually done on the up and up and everything was done fair and square like they purported it to be rather than trying to shut everybody down. That really pissed off a lot of people. And I think that's why you see the, the uprising to the point that it is. You know, and I, that's, the that's when that's there's the danger of a civil war. Like yeah. when half the country doesn't even trust the election anymore, that's a big right. problem. Yeah, absolutely. See, that, that's a that's an issue that I'd love to have you have you back on our show for just to have a discussion about that, because uh, that's one of the one of the things that it, it's a rabbit hole and there's a big iceberg in it, and it, there's there's a lot to that because. You know, I, I did a, I did a lot of research on that because I was supposed to have a debate with somebody about voter ID and all of those different things. Again, it goes back to them making black people out to be uh, stupid or incapable of doing stuff, or uh, with, with the way with the way they present how difficult it is to get a to get some form of uh, voter registration, which is ridiculously easy. And um, but a lot of the a lot of those issues, oh man, they're there's so much to unwrap with that. And it goes back to uh, Congress's accountability because the Constitution clearly outlines in, in uh, Article 2, I believe it's in Section, section uh, 3 of Article 2, uh, that it is the state electors that count the vote, that, that, uh, that make uh vote uh election law not the right. federal government the and then we've seen uh just recently a bunch of supreme court cases come out and ruled that mail-in drop boxes unconstitutional well what were you when they had those mail-in drop boxes in wisconsin so all of those ballots that were received from there are unconstitutional we have no idea of knowing which which of those ballots or there, which or not. So, how do you know that the election was was not was was fair? You know, we can't say too much because we're also streaming to YouTube. But I don't care. YouTube doesn't pay me. But that, that's that's a conversation that we could have all day. I, I would love to have you just for that discussion. Absolutely. Would love to have that for sure. And now, tell us where can we meet? Where can we meet Raymond Brooks? Where can we find you online and support your campaign? Uh, I have um, all, all, all the social media platforms or as many as I can find. <clears throat> My direct website is RaymondBrooks4Congress.com, uh, RaymondBrooks4Congress.com. Right, and can, uh, are there any type of events that you got coming up that you'd like to, like to sponsor? Can, pe or can people volunteer? to uh for for your campaign anything of that nature uh right now i would say just 
reach out through my webpage, uh, the, the .com ad address, and let me know that you're interested in, in helping. Uh, we've got some things lined up. Nothing's in stone yet. It's, it's kind of a work in progress. Understand that I am an absolutely the epitome of a grassroots effort campaign. I probably will be the least funded uh, candidate that you guys will speak to as far as you know uh, these go. Um, but I am fighting as a David in a pool of financial Goliaths. So I have to do everything that I can uh, to try to get my name out there and let people know that they actually have a choice in this election. And to please research each of these candidates and make sure that you vote for the person that you truly feel is going to be best re representing you and your family. Absolutely agree with that statement. Anything else, Brett? No, that's it. Well, again, Mr. Brooks, thank you for joining us here. We had a wonderful discussion. And as I said, I'd love to have you back to talk about voter integrity and voter ID law. Um, uh, you can go ahead and leave, Mr. Brooks. We're just going to close up here for our final thanks. You and you can stick around if you want to, but you don't have to be. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, and with that, uh, with that, Rhett, you know, we, we've interviewed a lot of people here. Let me go ahead and, and send Mr. Brooks's camera, uh, to camera down and I'll put him in the waiting room and then we'll go over here. And so, um, when it comes down to it, Rhett, I think we're. I think we've we've struck somewhat gold here, um, because that this gives so much so much more uh, clarity and research, not just for us, because you know we get to we get to have the honor of talking to each one of these individuals and learning, uh, you know, firsthand what they stand for, but it's also great for people who choose to view this. And choose to listen to it because they get to get get that same opinion and, and idea themselves as well. Yeah, we've only uh, we might actually be the only media source that's interviewed this many of the candidates or any of them at all. Um, my grandmother was telling me some people on Facebook were asking uh, on some page like they didn't know anything about the candidates. Like where could they go to learn about them? And she told them go to our podcast we've got interviews with like five or six of them now yeah and it's a shame that it takes that it's so difficult to to to, to learn about to learn about these people that are out there uh, and so i'm glad that we're taking an active step and being able to do that and to our viewers and listeners uh if you are interested in any of this if you're interested in being able to speak to one of these guys, uh, you can always send us questions that you have for them. Uh, you can even request to be on the show personally. And uh, we, we are not opposed to having uh, spontaneous guests or spontaneous call-ins when we have uh, persons of interest so that questions can be, can, be, can be asked of them that we may leave out because ultimately, the questions that we ask are for our own personal uh, benefit. 
and hopefully our personal benefit uh, happens to to coincide with with your own personal benefit. And the only way that we know that is if you interact and let us let us be aware of that. And so, you know, with that being said, I. You stay in, stay, stay in communication with these people, reach out to them, uh, learn as much as you can about them because we have to get out of this system of just voting based off of the party that we subscribe to. We need to start voting policies that make sense. You know, the person is just, uh, it's just an avatar for the policy. Vote the policy, not the person. I, I, I don't know if, if there's an easier way to, to phrase that, but that's the way I'm going to. That's the way I'm going to say it. Vote the policy, not the person. The person is just an avatar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The 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 individual is just a vehicle for ideas. So, which is basically the same thing you said, and. The goal here is to communicate communicate those ideas with as many people as we can in so far as we can manage that. I, and I, th I think it's I think it's doing us some good. I think it's still really doing the people some good. Um, you know, I've I've also got some some responses from people that have been listening to some of the things that we've been doing. And uh, now uh anchor has allowed us to start doing video podcasts so i don't know how it works as of yet i don't know where the video is going to be going to i'll find that out probably in the morning because this one will be the first one that's going to be video podcasted it's also it's already been streamed video and it's all it's going to be on on spotify uh and video in an audio format but as far as the video podcast, I don't know if that opens up some new avenues for us to be able to 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 to, anchor, to go to. So I'll be figuring that out uh, tonight and in the morning, and we'll work out some things because it's a lot. There's there's a lot involved in in this in this process, and I think it serves us all. Uh, much much better if people stay involved um you know i hate to hate to sound cliche again i know i said that a few times and throughout this stream but it really is more important that people are aware of the local elections and local uh, cases that are going on because that makes so much difference and you know I don't know. If, I don't know if you've ever had to, if you've ever read them before. But when I looked at a lot of that stuff in uh, the Harrison County budget for 2020 and 2021, I was appalled by what I saw. You know, and I, I, I wanted to get into this conversation with uh, Mr. Brooks, but I felt that that would create a longer conversation than what needed to be, given his background. Um, so. We'll have that conversation at a later time, but I looked through the funding for all of these different things. The courts and the jails get so much money, but 
the police, the, the actual police department, underfunded infrastructure, hardly any funds. Transportation, hardly any funds. Like education, barely anything. All of this money going to waste. Like how do you spend 20, $29 million just on the courts? You know. Yeah, we've got it completely backwards nationally i think this is the case probably everywhere in the country is that the order of importance for politics for everybody mostly is federal state local when it should be the exact opposite yeah i absolutely agree and i think people need to start taking advantage of the resources they have at hand you know it was not that hard to find this information but i would not have known about it at all if I didn't stumble upon it by accident because I was just wasting time at the library until my power was reconnected. Yeah, well, it's not like they really, it's, it is easily publicly accessible, but I mean, I haven't even really ever thought to look at the budget. Yeah, I talk a lot about the budget, a lot about economics, but I never read it myself. I didn't know it was that easy. To, I didn't know it was that easy to read it. I mean, literally, it's just a it's just a printout stapled to, stapled together. You know, with one of those uh one of those little black things, the little clips on them that you see it that you see it, the teachers using all the time. That's literally what it is, yeah. just sitting in the library on a shelf on upstairs. And I I go I'm like, oh wow, this is interesting. I mean, let me take a look at this. And there's and there's there was more than just that there as well. That is stuff that people don't know but it's public information for us to be able to view and see all of it and i think if people started taking advantage of that and looking at all of it man i think a lot of stuff a lot of stuff would change because of the we'd start holding these people more accountable if we could look at those breakdowns and those numbers of what's been spent on our local level Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think you should go you take a look that at information it. out there. I, I really think you should take a look at it because I think you might do a bigger dive in it into it than I than I have. But I mean, it's really interesting. Some of the stuff that, that's up there at the library, you know, I go to library almost every week uh, just getting books to read. Uh, most of them are economic based and uh jr tokens work but you know i do my do my reading spell and i i i mean this stuff should be it should be more advertised by the library in my opinion it should be more advertised by the local media it should be more it should be more made it should be made more available than it is it is available at the library but it's only one copy I, that's all I could find, uh, at least at least there, uh, when I went there, was only one copy of it. So only one person can view it at a time, and it didn't have a it didn't have a a scan on it. So that that means to me that it most likely can't be checked out. So it needs to be made more accessible, more available, in larger volumes, so people can research and review this information on their own merits. Because it, it, it blew me away to see those numbers. It really did.
probably online. It probably is. I don't know where I go to yeah, look at it. I don't have anybody scheduled coming up yet, but uh, I'll get on that within the next day or so. We should have somebody else scheduled this next week, probably. I don't know when, but we will. We'll have a couple of shows in between then just doing our, our own thing about interviews as well, because we've, we've got plenty of talk. We got plenty of subject material. I mean, we have plenty of that and we'll be, we, uh, for instance, I, I really do. I want to talk more about this Ukraine uh, World War III situation. And I just don't feel that it's appropriate to talk about those in great in greater detail than we do. With our with our guest interviews, I think that takes the focus away from from their campaign, as opposed to us just being able to talk about those things. So I do want to do one of those shows, uh, maybe tomorrow or or Sunday. Um, that I want to do a little bit more in depth research and and try to have something, uh, you know, something. I'll type a document out or something and have that ready by tomorrow night sometime. Okay, I'll be doing some more research myself. And um, I'm also gonna be trying to look for some more guests as well, uh, non-political guests. As I told you before, I want I want to try to reach out to as many uh, grassroots people as possible. I wanna get, want get involved in talking to some of these police chiefs. I wanna get involved in talking to some of these small business owners and stuff like that. I want to, I want to try to hear, hear the story. You know, at, at some point, why well, have to change the name to the story of Mississippi? But I really do want to hear the story of some of these people here in Mississippi, uh, what, it, what it's like to live in Mississippi for some of these people with some of the policies and stuff that's going on. And I want to hear some of their responses and reactions to some of the stuff that we discover in our research. Yeah. I would like to do venture, you know, outside of politics, occasionally into some areas that might touch politics or might involve, you know, other things. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more on um, on things that involve uh, my personal interest a lot more than just the political stuff, because the political things uh, it's all doom and gloom lately so it can become so dreary yeah it gets it gets really tiring <laughs> and so i want to i want to lighten the discussion so uh probably sunday or something like that uh you know i'll, I'll have the researchers i want to i want to get some i want to find some person some people that i can reach out to that might be willing to join me for a show but i want to start talking about some some of my interests. I want to dig into some crypto stuff. Uh, you know, maybe maybe reach out to the what's his name, Aaron Lee. Reach out to that guy. I know we had a conversation with some crypto stuff. With I him. T- I texted him one time about two or three weeks ago. I never got a response, so I'll, I'll try to reach out to him again. But yeah, yeah I, I kind of wanted to get him back on to talk about like <laughs> UFOs and stuff. Yeah, I, that's, I, that's exactly where I'm going. I want to do some cryptos, some cryptozoology <laughs> stuff. I want to talk about some some Sasquatch sightings and some some UFO things. You know, some Tucker Tucker Carlson gets to talk about Sasquatch and UFOs, so I want to talk about it. I find I find it interesting. Man. 
uh, particularly so, somebody. It's, the thing is, it's being taken seriously now, and there's really something out there, and I don't really think the government knows that much about it. Well, I've I've just listened like to it. some. Uh, the reason why I'm so interested in I've always been interested in cryptozoology, particularly when it comes to the animals that I believe can actually exist. Sasquatch, the possibility of mermaids. I don't think that mermaids exist the way that they the way that they say they exist, but the possibility of something like that existing, I, I, uh, I'm interested in. I'm interested in some of these other cryptids like uh, Chupacabra, which we think is a somewhere of a hybrid between a coyote and a wolf. Yeah, um, a, a coyote with mange or something. Yeah, but we've seen like some most things of these like that. Animals in cryptozoology, they're not that far fetched. Like it's very possible. Yeah. And many of these animals of cryptozoology have been proven to be real animals. Uh, you know, for a long period of time, the great, the, uh, the giant squid was a cryptid that we, it was like, oh, it's not real. Yeah. See, and then the things, and then the one washed the up ocean, on the beach. I believe all of those. But we don't you know, know what's down there. But, uh, mountain gorillas were believed not to be true because the the discovered world didn't know There's that no they gorilla. existed yeah and then they then then uh they the scientific community stumbled upon them in africa it's like oh they really do exist they're bigger than we are <laughs> this is and, new information but you know i i was i was doing some playing around with google earth and people always like to say, well, you can just you can find Sasquatch using those things. I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm looking through there like, you know, it, you can't see hardly anything from Google Earth. You can you can see the uh, outlines of where roads and stuff are. But when you try to get into the thickets of stuff, you can't see anything. You can't, you can't see past the, uh, the surface foliage of the trees, the canopy area. And especially when you're going into the into the into uh remote areas and that haven't been cultivated and cave areas and then you take a look at at uh at america and see just how much wilderness there is like people don't don't uh don't realize just how yeah. much wilderness we have in this country they're like oh we got 300 million people and there's person everywhere you go but it's like, that's yeah, really not only 10 percent of the country is inhabited like 90 percent of it is like rural and like no and one then, lives there. And then you get into Canada, and that's where it's like, wow. Like, okay. all the people in Canada live in one area. The rest of the Canada is completely unused. The, the, the greater Yukon district is just trees, as far as I can see. No people. Like, yeah. And Alaska, hardly no people, hardly any Dude, people. Don't even... Some of the stories from up there are the scariest ones. Like that, I've heard remember that. What was that? The name of that village that had to get abandoned because people were getting. I don't yeah, they're getting weird. They're getting eaten. I, I heard some stories about Sasquatches or something. I heard some stories about our, our federal government. They fought against a war against rock apes in Vietnam during the war. And <laughs> apes. You, 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 that's what they call They called them rock apes because they were. Have you at heard about time, the Kandahar giant? Getting, yeah, but I mean, can we finish talk about the rock apes? <laughs> but they they called them rock apes because during during Vietnam, uh, they would be camping out, you know, uh, in the woods to stay away from the enemy, so the enemy can't stick up on them. And at nighttime, they would get rocks thrown at them, and they thought it was the Viet the Viet the Viet Cong. They thought it was the enemy, 
and they would and they called it it was called Rock Eight Mountain or Monkey Mountain because when they went to this mountain, it seemed to be where they were at. And these were not as big as Bigfoots. They were uh they were about six foot five, you know, six foot area. But you know, they were they weren't the seven foot monsters that we get that we hear about here in America, but they were strong and they were violent. And they the the, the troops had an all-out war with these fucking monkey ape rock apes on Monkey Mountain in Vietnam. And you know the minute <laughs> you know Man. the minute <laughs> you know the Minnesota Icemen. Uh, that no. that Minnesota Ice, or well, the Minnesota Ice Man is basically there was a man who was who was a who was a war veteran from Vietnam who had s- supposedly killed one in Minnesota and he froze it and he went around uh, around the country displaying it and frozen. But the the rumor is is that he actually smuggled it from Vietnam. And was one of the rock apes that they killed from Vietnam. And when the when and when the government found out about it, he freaked out because he didn't want to get you know get in jail for uh, for illegal smuggling of government government <laughs> material. So he smuggling so the rumor so the rumor is immediately after that he he notified the public that. Um, that he is going to take the original body of the Minnesota Iceman off display and replace it with a uh, a replica made out of rubber, a rubber replica. And the original body and the picture of the replica and the picture of the original body, they look completely different. But the original body, nobody has found. And the rumor is, is that he, after he took it off of display, he went and he buried it somewhere so that when the government came to try to get him, he had he didn't have it. And since he died a few uh, in like 2002, no one knows where this original body is because he took the secret to his grave. And there was a show I was watching it uh, on Discovery Channel and they they came out where one guy who was interested in it. He he hunted down the Minnesota Iceman and found the replica, and he has the replica at his home in his store. And they went and they went to go take a look at it to see if the replica matched the pictures of the original. And the replica does not match the pictures of the original, because in the original it shows that the monster was shot in the face, shot through the eye, because the eyeball. Is, is out and the other eyes bulging out but the replica doesn't have that feature of the eyes and the replica shows his exposed teeth whereas in the original his the mouth is closed and you barely get to see lips on it and so it, it was it was really really uh interesting to me and of course you know we had the, the story of the Dolores eight how that one was killed and propped up on a stick. And then there's the story of, of Jack, the Sasquatch, who was part of P.T. Barnum's circus. You, you can make a whole episode just on the stuff that P.T. Barnum had. But he was getting transported back in the eight back in the 1800s on a train to go back to the circus. And he jumped off the side of the of an open cart on the train and they lost Jack, the Sasquatch, and they never found him again. What the hell? I mean, that, there's a lot. There's a bunch of weird stuff, dude. 
There's a lot That's of a stuff. That's a rabbit hole all in itself, too. <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. Now, you're talking about the, uh, what was it, the cannon apes? The cannon giant? <laughs> you, the you Kandahar right? giant. The Afghanistan? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. The military, fought, the, the military fought that, too. Like, our military, they fight a lot of stuff. You do. Dude, they, you took, they had to freaking hoist it up with a helicopter. And, like, the, the thing killed one of the guys. Did you hear the story? Freaking, he threw out a spear and it killed one of the seals. <laughs> or no, it was, it was a green beret. Or it was a rangers. Did you did you did you uh, did you hear the story revolving Mount St. Helens eruption? No. Like in the Mount St. Helens eruption, when it erupted in the 70s, uh several of these Sasquatches were were caught on fire from the volcano and they were taken by the government and experiments were performed and and ever since the 70s get this ever since the 70s where washington state where mount st helens is has put the sasquatch as a protected endangered species on their forest animal registry and it gets even better than that there's another government case where we have a journal of this guy who was conducting experiments on apes in texas and this was before the roger patterson film in 67 the, the famous bigfoot film this is happening in the 50s and he was doing these experiments and there was a case where he had gave this entire species a name uh, i can't remember the name he gave it it starts with a c he didn't name, he didn't name it for homo uh off of but he said it was not like other apes that he has that he's examined it wasn't neanderthal man it wasn't it wasn't homo erectus neanderthal's a human and, talking about it, like a, you know that but he said he's yeah gigantopithecus yeah, that theory works too but he said that this creature was uh on average about six foot seven it, uh but it could get up to uh 10 feet but and he did so he did a lot of investigations on it and he investigated one of them that was alive that was dying and they said they don't know a lot of stuff but then it turns out that his story in his in his journal because uh, he died in 2005 and his journal was finally released uh, by his daughter in 2000 uh in 2018 and it, his story is corroborated by his assistant who, who told a story different because apparently there, uh, in the 50s, uh, there was a Sasquatch that was, that was investigated on in, in uh, California that was killed by a lightning strike. And, a, uh, and from his investigation, from his research, he says that it seems as though the Sasquatch died from the tree falling on them because it seems like the tree fell on top of the Sasquatch and that the lightning bolt passed through the Sasquatch and into the tree because the Sasquatch was obviously in was climbing the tree and that from his studies of the creature from Texas yeah. earlier in the 50s that it was arboreal meaning that it lived in the trees mostly and it struck him and it fell down and she died with the tree on top of her and they did an investigation and 
the species that lives in California and the species that live in Texas are two different species with a, with a, with a similar ancestor. And so it was, it was wild. It was a crazy story that I just stumbled upon. I was just watching some crazy stuff on YouTube the other day. Yeah. And, but, but that stuff is yeah, fun stuff to uh, talk about, though. Like, we need to get that guy yeah. Aaron. And it needs its own episode, because if we keep going, it's going to take forever. It's going to yes, take it all will. night. So we got we to gotta <laughs> go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah. So anyways, we thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Um, uh, we're, we're definitely going to do a follow-up with Mr. Brooks on voting voting integrity. Um, and as we get more episodes, we'll let you guys know. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on... Oh, do we have a Twitter? Uh, I'll make a Twitter if we don't have one. So. I'll, I'll make one. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Rumble. Uh, we, we need to get a Telegram. Follow us on, on Parler no. and on spotify google podcast radio podcast anywhere that you can find the story of america with pace and williams type that in you'll be able to find us follow us on youtube uh like like share and download our content with any people as you can we're trying to build up our viewer base and you guys will help us out a lot with that you can also donate to us uh to our patreon i think red has uh formed us one of those uh you yeah. i have a I have a donation thing that we that you can also use as well, but I have not made that one public yet because I have to repurpose it from my campaign to the to the podcast so that it's not in violation of the of the donor of donor box. So with with that, uh, you, you want to talk about that before we end the the Patreon stuff? Then then we'll end after that. Uh, I will post the Patreon information on our Facebook page. All right, that works for me. All right, thank you guys for view for viewing us and we're going to log out.